Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. Today's episode is brought to you by Wise, the account that helps you manage your money around the world, which is huge for travelers. I've been a customer and a fan for 10 years. The Wise account helps you send, spend, and receive in different currencies fast, and they do it all without hidden fees or exchange rate markups. This service has been so critical for me in my life as a traveler, as a nomad, as somebody living abroad, and you can join 16 million customers and learn how the Wise account can help you out on the road at wise.com slash travel. That's wise, W-I-S-E dot com slash travel, or download the app. This episode of Zero to Travel is brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. What is the one thing you absolutely cannot leave at home when you go traveling? You have to have it with you. I'm not talking about the obvious stuff, right? You want to have your underwear and your clothes. And actually, I traveled with a guy once that didn't have underwear, but that's another story. <laughs> but I'm talking about the maybe the one sort of you could live without it, but you need to bring it thing. <laughs> I'll share mine. And I've got a special interview for you today in which my guest shares his. And what makes his so interesting is this is the only person to travel to every country in the world at least twice. He's visited every country in the world twice, and he's done it while having a full-time job. We talk about how he did that, and I was shocked to hear what his one thing was. I'd never heard this before and probably will never hear it again. Uh, So you'll hear that in this interview. We talk about some of his travel records and why he doesn't even consider them travel records. The only country without a hotel, which he slept in, and how he slept in it. And we get into the topic of the least visited countries in the world, which is a book he wrote. And it's only in Norwegian right now. It's not available in English yet. But he chronicles the least visited countries in the world. And this was fascinating to me because I love to visit places that haven't hit really hard in terms of big numbers of tourists visiting. Of course, you want to get to those places sooner than later. So you're going to find out which of the world's least visited countries you should consider visiting. It's all happening right now, my friend. Thank you so much for being here. And welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast. You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey there, it's Jason with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you so much for letting me bring a little travel into your ears today and spending a little time with me here. This is the show to help you travel the world on your terms, to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. You heard all the stuff that I mentioned at the top of the show. That and so much more is coming your way in this special interview, almost two hours long, about an hour and 45 minutes it ran. And we just had an absolute blast getting to sit down over a beer in person and talk to 
somebody who is the only person to travel to every country in the world twice was an absolute treat. And I know you're going to dig listening in on our conversation. Uh, I I gave you some teasers in the beginning. I don't want to spoil any more of it because it's coming at you right now in just a moment. Before we get into it, I want to quickly thank Tortuga Backpacks for supporting today's show. If you go to zerototravel.com slash Tortuga, you are going to get access to a small list of all of their backpacks that I recommend, the few backpacks I recommend and some of the travel gear. And you get 10% off just by using the promo code TRAVEL when you check out. When you check out, you just type in the word TRAVEL. You'll get 10% off any of the things you order over at tortugabackpacks.com. So again, that link zero to travel.com slash tortuga. If you go through that link, you'll be supporting this show. Can't say enough good things about these packs. I use them every day of my life. To give you an example, the Tortuga Outbreaker Day Pack, it's the dream day pack for me. It's got the right packability, durability, the material keeps everything dry inside, but you can pack it up and bring it with you and stick it in your bag. It's very minimal and light, but at the same time, when you take it out, it has support and it's not one of these flimsy day packs that just packs really down and then you put it on. You've got you know, you, I, mean, I can't carry this thing around all day. These straps are killing me. This is all weighted weird. No, this is so well constructed, but light that it's something I use all the time in my regular life, day-to-day life. But then when I want to travel, I can just roll it up, pack it in. And usually that goes into my Tortuga Outbreaker when I'm traveling, which is a great one-two combo if you're looking for the perfect setup for three weeks, three months, or three years of travel or more. Uh, the Outbreakers there, the day pack and the regular Outbreaker, such a great combo. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. There's other packs that I use of theirs. Again, you can see them all through that link. Thanks to them for supporting the show. And thanks to you. If you decide to pick anything up, you'll also be supporting the podcast. Check them out. All right. I don't want to delay this any further. This interview, again, did take place in a bar around the corner. So you might hear some people talking in the background just slightly. We did our best to kind of cut that out. But hey, it's a travel podcast. You get the ambient travel atmosphere. Here's me sitting down with the only person to travel to every country in the world twice. In person, we chatted, so we got to sit down and, and do this over a beer. I hope you enjoy our conversation, and I will see you on the other side, my friend. I'm always excited when I get to sit down with a beer and talk travel with a fellow traveler, but today I'm especially fired up because I'm sitting here in Oslo, Norway, with the only, the first and only person to travel to every country in the world twice. Yes, two times. He's also the author of a forthcoming book called Elsewhere, Trips to the World's Least Visited Countries. We're going to chat about some of those countries and which ones you might want to consider visiting, plus plenty more around the topic of travel right now. Gunnar Gardfors, welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. Well, thank you very much, Jason. It's uh, lovely <laughs> to be here in my home country. Oh, you know, I'm actually around. That doesn't <laughs> happen very often. <laughs> this is such a treat, man. And you actually bought me the beer, so even double double lucky for me. <laughs> well, there you go. Cheers. Or skull, as we say here yeah, in Norway. Skull, skull. We're going to do a skull right now. Yeah, yes, let yeah. us. Yeah. I mean, my swell. We're here. We're in person. So... You told me to call you Gunner. I had to go with the Norwegian pronunciation, though, just to prove to everybody that I can speak a little bit of Norwegian. Oh, you're good. Yeah, and I'm yeah. not full of it. I'm not totally full of it. Well, I'd say you're like 40% <laughs> or so. <laughs> you're doing very well. So you had to get around to every country twice. Like, once wasn't really enough, man. Come on. Well, like, you know, if you look at it. It seems <laughs> like a bit, ex- right? This monumental feat. And it's like, you know what? I'm just going to do it again. 
Well, uh, you know, like... it's, I don't know. If you look at this, you know, I, I realized because when I was doing the book you're talking about, when I was researching it, obviously I had to go back to these 20 countries I'm, I'm essentially writing about to, to do proper research and find out why they're least visited, interview interesting people and all the rest of it. And then I realized that no country in the world deserves to be visited only once. Right, right, right. <laughs> and, and, no, and then I just said, ah, oh, shit, I'm going to have to do all of them again. <laughs> and also for, for, you know, for, for comparative reasons, you know, if I'm yeah. going to write a book about the 20 least visited countries, and then I haven't been, and I've been to them twice, and then I haven't been to all the others twice, is that, no, I have to do it. That, yeah. that was my excuse. Yeah, does something click in you? Like, it seems like you, well, we're going to talk about some of the travel records you have and different things, but a term that I use and other people have used is like this idea of a quest, right? Mm. Like you have kind of a framework for your travels, right? Instead of just saying, oh, I'm going to wander the world and just, you know, maybe come back and work and then go to these places. You, you're kind of setting yourself up for like this mission, essentially. Yeah. Is it something in your personality <laughs> or like what is it about like having this type of mission around your travel? No, it's a good question. Yeah, it's also a quest and it started uh, many, many years ago, I think, back in 2004. It was one of my brothers. I had three brothers and three sisters. One of them is called Einstein. I'm the oldest. He's the second oldest. And we were reading the local newspaper in the middle of nowhere or Norway, right. uh, you know, whichever <laughs> you Middle prefer. of nowhere, you mean where you're from? Yeah, or? exactly. Okay. Yeah, yeah, a small, small village <laughs> where I'm from. How many people are in that town? Uh, well, in, in the center, around 1,000. Okay, yeah. It's on the West Coast. <laughs> it's on the West Beautiful Coast. Beautiful area. Uh, it is. It's amazing. I really would miss it where, you know, I, I live here in Oslo just like you do. And um, I do miss the mountains and the fjords and the glaciers and the waterfalls and all the rest of it. But um, we were reading the local newspaper, you know, print five or whatever, five copies. Right. <laughs> Maybe 5,000. Right. And we're reading about some people that were here in, in Norway to do research, some engineers to do research on uh, on hydropower. You know, we have all these waterfalls and we ha we're really good at at, um, uh, at hydropower, right. you know, which is environmentally friendly and all the rest of it. And they were from Kyrgyzstan, you know, to do research. And we said, well, Kyrgyz what? Kyrgyzstan. And, and we started researching it and we discovered, oh, that's actually a country right. in Central Asia. Okay. So we traveled there and we were so fascinated. Wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> this was in 2004. <laughs> this so is we traveled there. <laughs> it seems like there's a gap there because you guys had to go through like a decision-making process. You're like, you just read this article in the paper. You're like, we've never heard of that, so we're just going to go. Yeah, you, well, like well, how long did it take? <laughs> did you guys just make the decision literally right there? Start? No, it was sort of lucky because um, well, he's a teacher, so he has uh, what what we call here awesome holiday. Yeah, it's every awesome <laughs> in October, they have one week off the, yeah. the kids and, and the teachers. And uh, well, where I worked, and I still work at Norwegian Broadcasting Corporation as a journalist. I um, I'm pretty flexible when it comes to holiday. So I you know so we're talking. Well, let's go on holiday together. We're really good friends, and as well as brothers. And but let's not go somewhere normal. We were saying 15 years ago, right? And and that's when we read the article, which fit you know it fit really nicely into it. So yeah, that's yeah. very normal. Like, Is that yeah. even a country? Don't know anybody that's been yeah. here. Let's go. <laughs> let's go. <laughs> and then we started researching ticket prices, and they're extremely expensive, as you can imagine from middle of nowhere, Oslo, or now style, <laughs> yeah, wherever. Yeah. And I was like, oh, shit, that's going to cost right. us too much money. And I, uh, I said, oh, well, maybe we'll go to France after all. And then I returned to work because this was, this was before smartphones. So I didn't check my emails every four minutes. So I came back to Oslo to, to, for work and I checked my, my laptop. And in my emails, there was an invitation to do a speech uh, about new media in uh, in Kazakhstan, which is neighboring country to Kyrgyzstan. Really? 
and of course that's that, not a sign i don't know what is no i don't know exactly <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah. so you see and of course then my my um, tickets would be paid for and my my accommodation right. and all the rest of it so i just called my brother immediately and you're like and you have to pay for yours yeah, but yeah. <laughs> and, and by coincidence it was the same week when he was having his awesome oh, really? you know, holiday no so kidding. i called my brother Einstein and i said you know you're not gonna leave this but you know we're going to we're going to bloody kyrgyzstan <laughs> and i explained and he said what and you know so we traveled there you know a couple of months later yeah and we were so well received hospitality out of this world no tourists Amazing um, in nature, scenery, very high mountains, over seven thousand meters, and uh, you know, lovely food. It was it was incredible. Wow! So then, after this holiday, we visited Kazakhstan, and Kyrgyzstan, two stand countries, two out of seven stand countries. As a matter of fact, I decided I'm going to have to visit all the stand countries. Yeah, and you know, for for you got stand fever. I I, I you know I still have stand fever. Stand fever. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. there are nice places I haven't been. Well, you're, you're certainly missing out. You yeah. Know, so well, we're going to talk about some of these least visited destinations, but well, the, the, the um, thing is that very few, only one of the stand countries. Well, I know that's true. That's not true. Two of the stand countries are on the list of, of the least visited countries in the world. So, but yeah, highly, highly recommended. And then four years later, in 2008, I sort of run out of stand countries. So I said, oh, I need another goal. And then I, I well, I decided to visit every country in the world, and. Um, I finished that in 2013. That was sort of a quest. And then for the second time, I guess, yeah, that was also some sort of a quest. Yeah. Although it tied in <laughs> into the, the book research. But I mean, way. when you kind of decided that, was it mindset-wise? Were you just, this is what I'm doing and like there's no stopping me? Or were you having doubts? Or did you just kind of make a decision and then you're just like, this is what I'm doing. I'm going for it. This is my life. Because you're working, like you said, you're working a full-time job and... You weren't, I, I weren't doing this full time, right? I, yeah, yeah, well, travel. no, I wasn't, and so I, I was doing this while while working full time. Right. And in Norway, we're lucky; we have seven weeks of holiday. If you count uh, sort of religious holidays and yeah. bank holidays and all that, religious of it. holidays here for oh, a non-religious uh, <laughs> country. It's like, wait, my wife keeps telling me, "Oh, oh it's, it's off. We're off uh, Monday. We're off on Friday." I'm like, "What? What do you mean? I don't yeah. understand. We're off for what?" <laughs> Isn't it great? I mean, it's I love fantastic. it. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> and you don't really know why, but uh, I'll take it. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's good. <laughs> and of course, then you know, I I don't accept uh, overtime pay where I work, Norwegian yeah. Broadcasting Corporation. I said, "Well, I'd rather." Uh, take time off right so i save up hours and uh, so then typically on wednesday i would leave work you know uh, a little bit early go to the airport fly somewhere exciting i'd land thursday morning i'd spend the long weekend there i'd leave again sunday evening i'd land in oslo monday morning go home have a shower and go to work you know yeah so, so by doing that i could you know i could maximize my the little time i had off in addition to the seven weeks of holiday. So it was a combination of you going on long like weekend trips or whatever and then taking your extended holiday and just what would you do? Take a big chunk of it and yeah, just go to a bunch of places? And go or, to several places. Yeah. And also through my line of work, as I said, originally journalist, but now I work more with administrative stuff and radio distribution and more technical stuff. And which means I'm presenting in loads of different conferences, whether it's in, in okay, Kazakhstan yeah. or it's so you can pay South to travel Africa. to some of these places. Yeah. So yeah. suddenly I'm in, you know, let's say I'm at a conference in South Africa. So, you know, that's typically a three, four or five day conference, which means it's, it's more or less the entire week when you have yeah. to travel away there. So instead of traveling on the Monday or the Sunday, I will travel, let's say, on the Thursday or the Friday, which means I have a weekend there. And then I, you know, and it's paid for, you know, my right. tickets are paid for. Right. 
and then I'll pay a little bit extra and I'll fly somewhere nearby, typically like Botswana or Lesotho or the Maldives or, yeah. you know, Mauritius or somewhere. Yeah. Then I'll go to the conference and then I'll do the same the second weekend. I'll travel somewhere else, you know, Zimbabwe, Mozambique, you know, Swaziland, wherever. Yeah. So in that way, you know, I'm, hmm. I'm, I'm, I don't have to pay for the, the expensive tickets all the way to South Africa. Right. I only pay for the short ones, you know, nearby. You so were chipping away. I was chipping away. Yeah. yeah. No, it was a bonus. And, you it's know. cool. <laughs> It's the working man's every country visitor, right? Like, well, <laughs> you know, I, I wish. But yeah, so I think I've uh, worked in 25 countries. Yeah. I've been to 25 countries to work, but, you know. Yeah, no, but I mean, just, that, just that you've been working this entire time. You haven't, like, you know, inherited a bunch of money and gone and seen every country in the world taking three no, years that, off or whatever. This that is sounds just, nice, actually. It does you know, sound pretty yeah. nice. You, yeah, you have can an uncle get on that? a rich <laughs> uncle I can borrow, you know. Oh, yeah, that's the big joke in America, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Or in, in Norway, the... Uh, the rich uncle in America. Oh, absolutely. Isn't that the... No, no one has a rich uncle, but right, there's this, no. this myth that yeah. someone has a rich <laughs> uh, uncle. But, well, you know. um, it's funny because I have nieces on my, from my, on my wife's side, so I'm their uncle. And I said, can I be the rich uncle yeah. from America? Can I, can <laughs> yeah. I actually yeah. be the rich <laughs> uncle from America? Not yet. But, and, uh, and that's really the stereotype because <laughs> the rich uncle it, it should be from America. Right. It that's it. Be. That's yeah. the Norwegian stereotype, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, so you, you totally fit the bill. You just have to become rich, I fit I guess. the bill yeah. except for the rich part, unfortunately. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> All right. So Kurdistan kind of kicked things off, but were you traveling a bunch before then? You said you mentioned for work, but had you done any... Were there any travel experiences early on that kind of made a big impact on you personally? Indirectly, because when I was uh, I was four years old, my brother Oistan, he was two, and uh, we were the only ones who were born back then. This was in 1979. Yeah. My father he's a medical well he's a retired medical doctor now but he was a medical doctor back then and he was working on a cruise ship in the in the pacific another so, great way to get paid to travel well right? absolutely mm -hmm. you know and uh, and as, I don't as know, a medical he, doctor as a medical doctor yeah. yeah so he was a cruise he was a cruise ship doctor or the ship doctor whatever they called them and um how long I would he know. how long would he be gone for well he he only did this once for i think nine or 12 months okay yeah. and i don't know slightly selfishly maybe to leave wife and two kids back home in norway <laughs> you know while he was you know cruising the pacific <laughs> nevertheless he that's what Good life happened. experience you know and, and you know he, my mom visited on one once or once or twice sure. and she got the good you got a bit of Still the, live the nice life, life. Right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> send so, the money back home yeah yeah <laughs> But the thing was that, of course, we can read when you know, I was four and he was two. We can read. So what my dad did, he was recording on old-fashioned cassette tapes, audio yeah. cassette tapes, these incredible sales from the Philippines, from China, from Japan, from Alaska, from Canada. And, That's you know, so cool. he sent them home twice, uh, twice a month in these, I don't know if you remember these, par avion, like airmail yeah, yeah. envelopes. Yeah. And, you know, we ran down to the mailbox 100 meters from our home uh, on the west coast of Norway you know, every day to see, oh, is there going to be another uh, audio cassette tape? Yeah. And You're getting stories from all over the world yeah. to your mailbox. It was, it was. From your dad. Wow. In 1979. There yeah. was no internet, no smartphones, no nothing. It's incredible you know. now. Like, it is. It's still a beautiful <laughs> thing. It really is. And, that, you know, that, I just remember that when I was four I, and I told my mom, mom, when I become as big as my dad, then yeah. I also want to travel too. 
a lot of countries. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so this made this made a tremendous impact on, mm. on, on Little Gunner back yeah. in, in, in 1979. And you know, so I think that, that was what kickstarted kickstarted it. Not me traveling, but my dad doing it sort of on my behalf and telling stories about it. Do you still have the tapes? Uh, have you listened to my them? My mom has some or? of them. Yeah, and I, I, I listened to um, to to some of them. And the funny bit, you know, of course, it's, it's it's interesting to hear my dad tell these stories again. But the f- the funny bit was that my brother and me, we obviously thought we had to do the same thing. Then again, we didn't have much to tell. So it was right. sort of like very squeaky voices of, of very small kids <laughs> yeah. telling our dad about what we did in the play, you know, in the <laughs> playground and stuff. So, and I remember, you know, the, the, the last cassette tape I listened to was, uh, you know, I was talking about my brother. He was trying to lift a very, very, very big and heavy rock, but he couldn't <laughs> quite make it. So I helped him, and then we managed. You know, so, so the stories we told were probably not as exciting as the, yeah. probably, as the stories my dad told us. But you know, we we tried. Do you remember one of the stories that he shared with you uh, uh, he I'm was just tr- trying to get a sense of what type of stuff he was sharing with uh, you yeah from china you know he was in the forbidden city in beijing and he also told us about um uh, life on the river on, yeah. on the big yellow river hmm. where people didn't have they didn't have engines on their boats they they were having these big what do you call them big sticks and they're sort of uh, pushing the boat forward yeah and and this was like wow you know you, you couldn't really picture it well of course we pictured it somehow right but that made such an impact you know yeah. stories like that yeah and the forbidden city was like no it's for, forbidden what do you mean but but it's a city no but it's uh, and then he told about the emperors and all the rest of it and, and tried to explain it so he always put it into some sort of a context he's hmm. really good his tales are well uh, told, let's say, you know, and yeah. our, our mom was there listening in as well. Of course, he also wrote a letter for her. I don't know what, what right. he wrote. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> you didn't listen to those tapes. Well, 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 no, we didn't read that. <laughs> <laughs> that could have traumatized oh, your childhood that's very and changed true. everything differently. <laughs> uh, that's funny. But but she was there to answer questions and everything. So when we ask, you know, if there's something he didn't tell us, you know, so what's, why is it yeah. the city forbidden or whatever, she was always there and, you know, right. uh, provided context. So that, it, it was brilliant. No, it is a beautiful thing, really. I mean, when you think about it, and I, I mean, I'm just picturing you guys, because I come from about the same age and i mean i used to make mixtapes and you know tapes were a thing for sure but yeah. just picturing you guys running out to the mailbox in your small town your small village getting that tape like putting it in being <laughs> so excited what's it going to say and there's uh, something really special about audio i think too because you, you just mentioned it it's like well you know we couldn't picture it but you have to picture it right mm, when it's exactly. audio you're, yeah. you're forced to picture it and yeah. um you get to hear the ambient audio of, of wherever he was recording and you get to be with that person who's your father. Indeed, yeah, it was it was across truly, the world yeah. somewhere. <laughs> it's I can imagine. I mean, I can see why it was so impactful. I guess, and what a cool thing to do. Like, it really, to, it was really inspiring. Yeah, and, you know. So, so, so I, I like to believe that's what really kickstarted it. it, it it's difficult to say. It was uh, when I was four years old and everything. No, but but it, it, it left it left an impression with yeah. me. You know, which which still is here today. Yeah, so. I mean, it's too easy with email now, right? No you audio with emails or well, just even like, less well, audio. No, you just make audio <laughs> and you're just like, oh, just email to this person. And yeah. now they have it. Here you go. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Mm-hmm. So you and your brother went to one of the stands. Then you started knocking off the stands. And then you're knocking off these countries and you're committed to traveling to every country in the world. At some point, it seems like just from the rating I've done on you that I don't know when this was in your sort of story arc of your life, but mm-hmm. you started getting into... Um, travel breaking some travel records and different things (laughs) yeah and you have a really healthy attitude about this actually because i was reading about it's like what you know what is the motivation here and um i I just wanted to hear 
I want you to share some of them first, and we can talk about yeah, that. Yeah, it started in 2012. I was uh, actually in 2011, I think. I was in, in Turkey. I was in Istanbul. And as you know, it's the biggest uh, city in Turkey, one of the biggest in Europe. This is sort of because 2013, you completed your first yeah, all countries. So, so it was, this is like uh, about a year. It was just uh, yeah, a year and a year and a half. Yeah, a little over a year, no, less finish. than a year actually, before I completed. Okay, yeah. Um, and um, but I was I was in Istanbul, and then as you know, uh, Istanbul is divided on, on between two continents, uh, yeah. um, Europe and Asia. And I was driving. I was taking a minibus from the European part of Istanbul to the to the Asian part, and you cross the bridge, and you're you're on the other side in two minutes, or you, maybe yeah. min, in one minute, one minute and a half, whatever. And I was like, wow, I've been to two continents in, in two minutes. I wonder how many continents is it possible to visit in one day? And this, this, was, this was the thing that got me started. And I started, you know, searching for plane tickets and, you know, finding itineraries and how can this be done? And then I, I figured a way to do it. And I said, well, you know, this is only a theory. It has to be proven. <laughs> Just yeah. like in physics class in school, right? Right, <laughs> right, right, right. And then I, then I called my, one of my friends, Adrian Butterworth, uh, who I studied with in England. And um, I said, hey, Adrian, are you up for a, a little bit of a crazy trip? <laughs> no one has ever done this before. We're going to visit five continents in, in one day. And How do you what? know nobody's done? I mean, do you look up the Guinness records and yeah, different things? didn't yeah. exist. There yeah. was nothing there. And uh, we applied to get the, the record um, uh, acknowledged by, by Guinness. And uh, it was like three years later or something. It took, it took quite a long time. Yeah, yeah. So I think there was sort of thinking, should we really make something as crazy as this a world record? <laughs> and in the end, I said, okay, let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> so it was, what was the record again? Uh, that was the, most, the highest number of, of continents visited in one calendar day. Okay, 24 and, hours. Yeah. And it, well, no, that's actually not the, the okay. case because we were cheating a little bit. Of course, we were uh, trav traveling okay. westwards. Right. So, so the okay. the time was helping us a bit. Okay. So I think we we uh, it took us twenty eight hours and twenty one minutes or something, but it was all on June twelve in twenty twelve, <laughs> and so we left. Uh, and 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 yeah, I I told we started in Istanbul, but we didn't want to do two continents in, in you know in, in in one country. Yeah. So we didn't do Europe, Istanbul, and then uh, Asia, Istanbul. We started in in the Asian part of Istanbul. We flew to Africa, uh, Casablanca, Morocco. Then we flew to Paris, Europe. You know, it's another country, uh, another country, and then we flew to the Dominican Republic in North America, and then to Caracas, Venezuela in South America. So we sort of wanted to do it properly. We didn't sort of want to sort of cheat, you know, right. by doing uh, Europe it's and Asia in Turkey. Yeah, so uh, it was five countries wow. in five continents in, in one day. Wow. <laughs> so that was, uh, <laughs> and, and you know, it was, it was such a nice thing to do with one of my best mates. Right. Uh, when on the way back, we stayed much longer in each country. Because yeah. he was he was making a documentary about it, so we needed some more uh, footage and all the rest of it. And of course, we wanted to experience uh, the countries right. instead of just racing through them. So right. it was a, it was a fabulous holiday. Yeah, it was. <laughs> I can imagine you guys giggling a lot and just kind of like, oh, I can't believe we're doing this. This is crazy. <laughs> like, were you boosting it up on the plane? I mean, why were you passing the time? <laughs> no, well, we're sleeping lots of the time. Oh, okay, and, you know, yeah. Yeah, chatting. And, just, you know, yeah, it was, it twenty-eight was hours of travel. Basically. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It was. It was a long. It, it was a Monday. It was a very long one. Right. That's a long travel day. It um, was, yes. <laughs> yeah, because you've. You've said uh, these are more, quote, logistics records than travel records. I did, yeah. I don't really consider this travel. 
it's more logistics, as you say. It's 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 all about getting from A to B uh, yeah. and then to C and D and E and F and whatever as fast as you can. And you don't really get to meet people. You don't get to experience anything or very little. And yeah. but at the same time, it's sort of uh, it gives you an adrenaline rush yeah. to do something that no one's ever done before. Right. And if you do it with one of your best friends, it, it's, it's even better. So it, it's sort of the ultimate boys trip. And of course, you celebrate afterwards and then you mm. do some proper traveling. But yeah, definitely, this is this is this is nothing or very little to do about traveling. And you know, we also did 19 countries in 24 hours around Europe. And I would never count those visits in in those 24 hours yeah. as having been or visited that country, you know, for, for for any other purpose than breaking world record. Right. So you know, I, I never counted those as having been to that country. I, right. That would be totally wrong, in my opinion. Gotcha. I mean, so what do you define as proper traveling for yourself? And this is different for everybody, of course. It's uh, No, it's different from everyone. And some people, they count uh, airport stops. Some people even count fuel stops yeah. inside an airplane. You know, because they technically they've been on the ground, sort right. of, even nah, about five, six meters above that. the ground. But well, some those people, people are wrong. Well, I, I, <laughs> I, 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 I do agree with you. Yeah. I'm not kidding, because they are. Sorry. <laughs> well, come on. No, to me, it's about you know, fuel it's stop. Come on. Yeah, I know. That's 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 a little bit too much. And even airport stops. Mm. I mean, it, it, whatever floats no. your boat. No. But you know, to to me, travel is about experiencing places and people, meeting people, trying their foods, seeing their sceneries. You know, exploring their cities or villages or getting a sense. Place. Exactly. Yeah. Having a taste of Which it. Which is subjective, of course. But well, that's, that's, that's very true. But I mean, if you don't speak to anybody, and, and unfortunately, most of us, us as in Western people traveling the world, we travel with other Western people. Which means we don't really talk a lot to locals because, hey, we're already having a good time with our mates or our wife or our boyfriend or whoever from home. Which is, it's a really, it's a shame, in my opinion, because, you know, you, you don't meet anybody. You, you might even stay in a Western hotel, Marriott's or Westin or, or one of those, Sheraton. Yeah. And then even the, hotel, the, the money you pay the hotel, they don't even go to the local economy. They don't benefit the local economy. You stay in a hotel with a bunch of other Westerners and you don't really participate in what locals do. People working in reception that might even be foreigners because they're cheaper to uh, to employ. So I think there's a, a lot of what should I say wrong or bad about the way a lot of us travel. Yeah. You know, it's it's about seeking experiences, meeting the locals, asking them questions. You know, and the moment you do that, you know, you you, in, you start engaging. They invite you to weddings or dinners mm. or be hidden beaches or hikes or you name it on you know and rides with horses or cars or whatever yeah. and and you get a real sense of of the place the mm. town the village the country whatever if you don't do that you know and then you say well i've been to every country in the world or i've been to that and that country and say yeah, but what did you do as a, uh, next question please <laughs> then, uh, come on yeah uh, so in my opinion well i've stayed um a week on average in, in every country all 198 countries in the world i've stayed overnight in every country as well even the only hotelless country in the world the, the vatican right wow yeah. <laughs> no hotels there yeah so where did I, you sleep there well I, on, on on the ground yeah i was very very cold um, yeah but i i did sort of nick or let's say borrow a blanket from from scandinavian airlines yeah <laughs> one of those I, I did really thick well, warm yeah, blankets exactly that <laughs> I was freezing my butt off there, yeah, yeah. and I got really friendly with uh, the Swiss guard. 
because they were like, what yeah. the hell are you doing here? Right. And I was like, well, <laughs> you're shivering, dude. And I said, like, yeah, well, yes, it's very cold. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, so, so I was allowed to stay there, you know, so I didn't break the, the, the law yeah. or anything, but it was, it was very cold. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, spending a night, at least a night. When I was traveling the States, I always said, I'm, I can't count the state. If I was just passing through, I have to spend a night there. Yeah. No, Gotta no, spend a night there. Yeah, yeah, and I do agree. Um, I sorry. Do agree. Hair on my microphone. I oh, that's not so awful. Whose <laughs> hair is it? I don't know. I hope it's mine. Uh, yeah, maybe well, not. Hopefully not mine. Uh, <laughs> you, <know. laughs> you mentioned meeting locals, and obviously that being a huge part of travel and being able to get underneath into the skin of a place, really. And uh, having traveled so much, I'm just wondering what some of your advices, or maybe just tips, or maybe just share some of your experiences around meeting locals like how, how would you talk to the traveler that's just getting started with their world travels or um maybe they've been traveling in a, a certain style they've been traveling for business and now they're like hey i want to have more encounters with locals i yeah. don't want to i want to do that my travels in a different way um how do you make those connections on the ground well if you travel for business you have to set aside some time maybe a weekend like yeah. i was talking about earlier you know you take maybe two weekends even if, if, if you're able to do so but at least one extra day uh, dress down, uh, don't wear your business uh, attire, uh, and then just walk. The moment you take taxis everywhere, you don't really meet many people. You meet a taxi driver, perhaps, you know, if yeah. he's, he or she is talkative. Uh, but yeah, talk to people. And just, you know, and if you're a little bit shy, and I'm Norwegian, so I'm very shy. Most Norwegians are, mm -hmm. are very, very shy. And people think we're arrogant, and some of us might be, but <laughs> I'd, I'd like to say it's, it's purely due to, to shyness. <laughs> but you know, so even if you're shy, you, you ask somebody, you know, excuse me, could you tell me the time? Or could you tell me the, the where the train station is, or the museum, or do you know a good restaurant, or whatever? But what we're seeing now is that, um, let's say, uh, inventions are preventing this. First yeah. of all, we travel uh, with Western people, typically. Western friends, colleagues, family, whatever. So we don't really, we stay in Western hotels. So we don't meet yeah. local people there. Maybe the receptionist or maybe the, the, the waitress or the waiter, if we're lucky, unless they're from, from a, a different country. Right. And then you have stuff like Google Maps and, and Google Maps is, is and, and similar map services. They're brilliant, but they are preventing us from actually asking people on the streets, could you recommend a restaurant? You know, so they're taking away that opportunity yeah. uh, from us. Yeah. Then you have selfie sticks. <laughs> Which means that instead of asking somebody, could you please take my photograph? We're just doing it ourselves. Right. It's not, I'm not saying you're not slagging off selfie sticks, although they look pretty yeah. stupid, yeah. I must admit. <laughs> but, you know, if people want to use selfie sticks, you know, so be it. But, you know, these technical so-called inventions are, you know, removing us away from locals. Yeah. And that's a bad thing. I think. Yeah. And then you have guidebooks. I think the biggest insult, you, and so don't do this, never read a guidebook in front of locals. You know, let's say you were sitting here in this bar in Norway and you're reading Lonely Planet Norway. Right. And I'm sitting next to you. Right. That's source of an insult. Why don't right, you ask yeah, me? Yeah. Come on, Justin, <laughs> come on. Do I look that, you know, yeah. ugly? Is my personal hygiene that bad? Come on. <laughs> this guidebook was The guidebook written. will tell you if your yeah, personal yeah. hygiene's that bad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this was this was probably written by a foreigner, meaning yeah. a not a Norwegian, not a local. Right. Maybe two years ago, maybe five years ago, maybe last year. Mm. But you know, he or she was probably here for only a few days or, or a week at the best, or maybe two weeks. And it depends on his or her interests and all the rest of it. Instead, you, you should ask someone who's clearly up to date because they live in the village or the city yeah. or, or the country. Yeah. 
So these uh, sorts of, let's say, modern... Uh, conveniences. <laughs> conveniences. Yeah. Right? You know, uh, removing the pleasure of, of right. travel. Yeah, there is certainly the convenience factor of, oh, okay, well, I just want to go to a cafe now and I'm lost, so I'm just going to pull up my Google Maps. But is, is it important to get there quicker or is it important to have some kind of interaction that you wouldn't have had? You know what I mean? It's... Uh, mm. Well, when These are important things to ask yourself, I think, before you travel. Think, like how yeah. much, what is my relationship with technology? This is something I've been talking about a lot mm-hmm. lately. Like, and should, should you even consider putting up some rules around it? Or, I mean, when you're traveling, do you have, do you set up, you mentioned, we made a joke earlier about like, oh, this is before like smartphones. I didn't check my email every four minutes or whatever. <laughs> yeah. I mean, do you, do you set up rules for yourself around um, technology and those sorts of things when you're traveling or? Is it just you just go into travel mode and you're just like, all right, I'm on the road now. Like, I just talk to everybody and this is what I do. Well, I, of course, it depends. Sometimes you're in a hurry. You're, you might well, yeah, be very, of course, very yeah. Hungry. I mean, we're talking about generally speaking. Generally, I, mean, I, yeah. I want to talk to people, you know, because that's where you find the yeah. beautiful stories. That, that's where you really discover yeah. the soul of the country. Yeah. You know, that's, that's when you are introduced to the real country, not just the surface. It's about, to me, it's about participation. If you don't talk to people, you're only, in my opinion, only an observer. Yeah. And it might get you millions or thousands of likes on Instagram or Facebook or wherever you post your stuff. But, hey, come on, you haven't really spoken to anybody. You, yeah. you don't really get their pulse. You don't yeah. get under their skin. And if you don't do that, then really what's the point of travel? Right. I mean, yeah, bragging rights, perhaps, but uh, it's the same as, you know, not the same, but it, it's a little bit the same as, as uh, landing for a, a few refueling stop in an airplane. It's like, oh, I've been to that country. <laughs> of course, yeah. you know, if you see it, it's, it's much better than not traveling at all, in my opinion. Yeah. But if you don't engage, you yeah. lose out on so much. The observer role is interesting because that, no matter how much you engage, there's still an element of that as a traveler, right? And... I can think of myself first coming to Norway and not knowing any of the language and just sitting at dinner with my in-laws and not being able to engage because they're all speaking in Norwegian. No. And I'm just forced <laughs> into the observer yeah. role, right? Or you're uh, you're watching a parade or something in some foreign country. You just, you know, you're observing. Like, you don't really know how to participate. You don't, you don't want to do anything that's going to offend anybody or, mm. you know, there's these certain situations. So it's interesting because there's that element of it, but then also you need to engage too, right? You don't need to, but certainly I think we're on the same page there. You want to. You want to for, get for to know sure, people. Yeah. Like it's it will most likely elevate your experience by, by yeah. far. And I mean, of course, we're all observers uh, at times, right. like, even at home or whenever we travel. You know, we can't participate in everything. No. You know, but, but it, it, it's something about thriving, you know, looking for opportunities to actually engage. But and, what and are some of the standout it. experiences with locals that you've, had through all your travels. I mean, can you think of uh, an example that sort of exemplifies like what you said before, which I thought was really well put, saying it was, um, you know, really lets you in on the soul of the country? Well, it's something, uh, there were so many experiences. Maybe one in, in Yemen. I was there uh, last year. It's a war-ridden country. It's also the least visited country in the world with only 60 uh, tourists a year or f- five tourists Yemen? a month. Yemen. Yeah. It's war-ridden. It's, it's, yeah. a, it's a disaster there, a humanitarian disaster. It's really, really bad. Loads of, of kids are starving, uh, not enough food. You know, there are warplanes from neighboring countries and all the rest of it. And then I visited, uh, you know, I met this mango farmer on the outskirts of, of Aden, uh, the, the um, city in the south. How did you end up out there? Well, I, well, traveling to Yemen, as I said, is not the safest place to go. So I contacted a fixer 
one of these persons that help typically journalists and aid workers and every, every and, and similar get people the country, to get yeah. through the country safely. And so I asked him, so you know, who do you recommend we, we go? You know, I would like to to meet some someone outside Arden, I outside talk the city. To some people, yeah, <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah, I want to talk to some, you know. <laughs> and he uh, said, so do you know any like farmers or fishermen or whatever? And he took me to a fisherman, but he also took me to this mango farmer. Oh, just asking. Yeah. Yeah. So I just say, yeah, come on. Who do you recommend? And, uh, yeah. and, and he didn't know him himself, but he heard about him. He had 70 ma- uh, mango trees, hmm. and he was making a living out of that. Hmm. And I was there with my American um, uh, ph- photographer, Alexi Alford. She just made uh, made history now. She's now the youngest person in the world at 21 that's visited every country in the world. Oh. Just, just uh, as of a She few was your ago. photographer? She was my photographer I to Yemen. You just know. read about her. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's so <laughs> only, funny. Only to Yemen. So she small actually photographed. World. It's a small world indeed. Yeah. Yeah. So she actually photographed uh, the cover to my, my book, my last book. Oh, elsewhere, really? Okay. Which, um, which is neat. It's a little bit of a side story, I guess. But yeah, yeah she was there. Um, and we were invited into this farmer's house, you know, for dinner. We're just going to, you know, talk to him, see his mango trees. And I didn't want to disturb him too much. But, you know, he was so thrilled that we came all the way from, you know, the United States and Norway to, to you know, to visit his little farm. Yeah. Uh, but in Yemen, it's, it's a very patriarchal society. So me, uh, as a foreigner, foreign man, or as a man overall, uh, not in his family, I was not allowed to, to meet his wife. But she cooked the most incredible meal, you know, of you know, I've ever had. But one of the most incredible yeah. meals I've ever had, like a, a four-course, you know, meal, and um, it was all served by his sons because the wife was not allowed to come into the living room. We're sitting on the on on the floor. There's no furniture there except a tiny little brown desk with a tiny television on it. <laughs> yeah. No sofas, no tables, no nothing. Really, and they were sitting on on the floor eating and chatting, and it was it was such a nice gesture. And he doesn't have, or him and his his family doesn't have much money, right? But it's all about wow, these people are coming to my country. That's incredible. I I really want to give them something in return. I want to get to know them. I want to talk to them. And he didn't speak English, so you know, through the fixer, he was. He was uh, interpreting, you know, as, yeah. as well. It, it, uh, what was the conversation about? Just It was about everything. I asked him about uh, global warming, for instance. You know, he was really struggling because uh, there was almost no rain anymore. And he told me when, when this started happening and, and it's the, the number of mangoes declined every year. He had a pump, an electric or a pump running on, on petrol or diesel. Uh, that was pumping water up from a well, but you know this pump would go; it would become hot after you know only two hours. You know he was really struggling. Yeah. Also talking about you know him traveling. Of course, he'd never been outside Yemen, so his notion of traveling was going to to Aden, the nearest city, or Sanaa, the capital, which is further away, right. where he hadn't been for years because of of the war there. So it w- it was really interesting to hmm. to talk to him about, uh, and also his sons. There were three of his sons there, a couple of his um, uh, nephews, and you know they're all ma- men sitting there. Uh, and and I was you know I was saying I was saying to the uh, the interpreter, the fixer, that and oh, come on, this is we don't want to eat their food and everything. They don't have too much. And then one of the sons, he said, "I swear on my grandmother's grave that you will have dinner with us." <laughs> and, and, and so we sort of realized that no, 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 there, yeah, there's like no way we can run away from it. No, no, that was no. not. So we said, okay, yeah. uh, fair enough. We, yeah. And of course, it, it was it was magnificent, and it was it was such a magical experience to sit there, yeah. and, and share stories and, and to be served this 
wow it was so delicious the food there you know i can still taste it you know <laughs> those are the best yeah. travel experiences i think yeah. when you're getting invited to somebody's home for and, and then we asked food. him you know after we we saw so we ended up staying there i don't know three hours or so yeah and and then he walks us to to the car and um and he, he says that uh well you should really uh you should you should meet my neighbor He's got 28 sons and approximately 12 daughters. And he says something about the society. He knows exactly how many sons he's got. Doesn't, daughters, not so important. Mm. And it really, so, so, yeah, you know, mm. 28 sons, approximately 12 daughters. Yeah. And, I, and it turned out, he had, and he didn't know this, but it turned out the, this guy, he, he died the week before and he didn't know this. So we never met this person. Uh, and I just hope uh, all these what is it, 40 or so kids were with different I mean, women. You know, I, I really hope one yeah, woman didn't have to go impossible. through four, 40 births. But uh, oh my I don't know. I, know. I never got to meet them, so I, I wouldn't know. Do you have any kids? or? I don't have any kids. No, no. I, um, I'm the oldest of six, uh, yeah. oldest of seven. So I have six uh, siblings. Yeah. And uh, so I've, I've changed diapers. I've made, you know, oh, dinner yeah. and all yeah, that stuff. Yeah, yeah. You know. You've done it, right? <laughs> so I'm sort of, uh, yeah, I don't have this urge to, to yeah, have children. Yeah. You know so. what that is. <laughs> I, I know what that is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny you say that because we were just hanging out with my nieces here in Norway this weekend. And yeah, the oldest one kept getting stuck with kind of watching over everybody and it was just a casual kind of oh like everybody's going outside can you secretly can you just you know make sure everybody's okay (laughs) and it's not like i mean it's totally normal but i guess in as the oldest you just have to slip into that role yeah i I think so yeah yeah. so so i remember you know when i was a kid i uh, my three younger sisters i had to walk them in one uh, what do you call the push chair yeah so one of the youngest was sitting in the push chair and the the other two were sort of hanging onto it and we had you know i had to yeah yeah i had to look after them because my mom she had to go to to some meetings whatever and i had to pass uh, the football field where all my my friends were playing football or oh, soccer yeah. in yeah. your case yeah, yeah. and i was like ah dude <laughs> mom you hate me so much you know <laughs> but now you know, there are seven of us it's such a great experience you know mm. we get together as often as we can and you know mm. share experiences and i'm now, now the uncle of uh, was it eight almost nine nine in, wow. in july yes congrats that's <laughs> <you>. awesome <laughs> well you started chatting about Yemen. I'll let you have a sip of your ol there. Um, Very nice. And got us onto the least visited countries, which is, of course, the subject of your book. And that was the the least visited, right? And I want to talk about some of these countries, but um, can you just share with everybody how you determined that list? Because it's actually based on some statistics and fed. You didn't just willy-nilly <laughs> say, uh, hey, nobody goes to these countries. I'm just going to write down these 20 and we'll call it a day. Yeah. Talk about how you formulated this list. Yeah. Well, the United Nations, they have an organization called the World uh, Tourism Organization, so UNWTO. They have a list over tourism numbers, tourist numbers to every country in the world, except they're lacking the least visited countries because they don't have any tourist authority right. or a tourist There's tourism no tourism minister. infrastructure that's no. happening. So, so you know, there's nothing to report. No, exactly. Yeah. Or, or, there you could know, be, might, but it doesn't, yeah. It's, yeah, it doesn't or, or exist. Or they don't, you know, they, they're not going to spend any money on, on that kind of, of stuff. You know, it might be war-ridden countries and, and so on. Right. So what I did, I, I, I used the UN list for the countries with, with um, numbers on it, with, with figures uh, on the list. And then I had to go to every country without numbers without figures and uh, do research on my own. So I spoke to immigration officers. I spoke to prime ministers. I spoke to culture wow, ministers, tourism ministers. 
uh, hoteliers and all the rest of it. So I, I really had to find these figures. I, I spoke in Tuvalu. They are actually on the list, but it turned out the, the figures, Tuvalu is, is an island country in the, in the Pacific, as, as you know, but some, some of your listeners might not know. And it turned out their numbers were inaccurate. So I, and I went to the Statistical Bureau of Tuvalu, and I found out the reported numbers of 2,000 tourists included every business person as well. So, uh, so the real number of tourists were 800, which makes it the fourth least visited country in the world. Hmm. So in some cases, and also in Eritrea, the, the numbers they reported officially turned out to be, to be false or wrong. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, how do those numbers come together? How do, they figure, how do you get to that number? How did I uh, yeah, get this? No, how do they get to that? Like, yeah, I mean, it just seems so. Well, well they have a, most countries have tourism authorities. And yeah, they, I mean, I guess the immigration there, yeah, they check everybody that's coming in. Yeah. So it's but, but of course, some countries like like Tuvalu, you, they have you have to write, you have to uh, fill out this report right, or a visas landing card or visas okay, or whatever. Yeah. So they have an, a very accurate number of foreigners yeah. uh, visiting the country. But then you have Europe, uh, Schengen area, for instance. You don't have to show your passport. Right. So you don't really know exactly no. how many visitors you have. But you know tourists. it's not on the least visited list. Well, that's very true. <laughs> so, so, but they still provide numbers, which is so these numbers must be estimates. Right. Which means so this even the UNWTO list, it's not 100% accurate. And, right. then you, and then you have to ask yourself, what is a tourist? So what if I right. visit, uh, let's say, South Africa um, for a conference, but then I spend the weekend there? Yeah, like what am you I did. Then there? Yeah. yeah, exactly. Am I then a tourist or am I a business visitor and uh, so on and so forth? So there are always going to be gray zones here anyway yeah yeah so sure. so you i don't think you can i think it's impossible unless you're god <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> to make this right. list uh, very right. accurately yeah but that uh, means it sounds like you made it as accurate as you can oh uh, yeah yeah i think so yes yeah. and it's a first um complete list of all 198 countries in the world in in, in literature history you know yeah. it, which is now out in my book i'm only writing about the 20 least visited countries where mm. i spoke to people and and you know discovered some incredible stories uh, but every country in the world is actually on the list in the, in the back of the book. So you, you can look up okay, yeah. the United States, which I think is number uh, number two on the list, or three on the list. It's I, really I interesting it's that... Um, of, of most visited countries, of course. <laughs> I mean, this is where your journalistic background comes into play, I guess, right? Did you always want to be a journalist? or I did, since uh, we had a journalist uh, visiting our class, grade five or something. Really? And then I said, wow, I want to be a journalist. Really? And I made my first newspaper... There was only one copy of this, and, and my friend and me, we made it on my dad's typewriter, <laughs> and we colored the front page our, on our own, and yeah. then we walked around the neighborhood in Nostal trying to sell a newspaper for like uh, like 20p or so, uh, 20 yeah. cents or something. And uh, in the end, our nearest neighbor bought a copy. Yeah. Of course, we didn't want to go to our nearest neighbor <laughs> first because it was a little bit embarrassing. So we went to all the others and nobody wants to buy it. And then in the end, uh, my nearest neighbor bought the only That's copy sweet. of this newspaper when that I was age sweet, eight man. or something. <laughs> I mean, it seems like so just the logistics of some of the things that you've done. You've talked about the records and getting just geeky with the logistics or putting together this list and having to just go so deep to get these numbers. Is it, it must be something you really enjoy, that process of kind of putting that puzzle together uh, for sure and i think it's the same if you're if you're a very eager football fan you probably know the number on the back of the jersey of every player on your team and you probably know their height and their weight you know their favorite interests yeah. blah, 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 favorite food all the rest of it so you know you really go into your hobby and yeah. i guess it's the same with me when it comes to travel yeah I, I really go into it and i love statistics i i, I love 
knowing a little bit about the countries, the places, the towns and villages that I actually visit. And I, mm. I love to meet people from them in order to, to, to feed my appetite for, 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 for more info and, and, and inside information, if you like. You know, if you don't talk to people, you yeah. cannot get inside info. I think <laughs> it's great, man. I have a lot of these experiences that I carry with me, but I can't, I'm not so good at piecing together sort of like bringing in the history into the stories or like, you know, some of the statistics or things. I think it's fascinating. It took a lot of research. Yeah. yeah. So, so I tried, I, I bought, I purchased books in most countries, some country like Nauru, uh, the second least visited country in the world, also in the Pacific. They, you know, there were no books really that I could right. find, no bookshops, no nothing. And um, that's quite interesting, actually, because the 20 countries that are on this list, uh, you can group them into two. One is countries that are war-ridden or they're, they've been hit by disaster, terror, um, lack of food, uh, lack of water. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, in other words, there are many, many reasons why people don't go there because they're considered dangerous or, or awful places. Right. And then you have the other group, which consists of countries that no one has even heard about. You know, typically islands, little infrastructure, almost no flights, um, and, and so on. So, you know, they're, and they, of course, they don't have a tourism agency. They have no marketing dollars to market their country. Right. Uh, so, so you can sort of group them in two. So would you say that the latter, those places are places that you might recommend people to see? Because I'm curious out of this list, which places you would say, oh, like, you're probably not going to say, well, go to Syria right now or whatever. There's a lot of stuff going on. But what are some of the places on the list that you would say, hey, maybe this is a place you should... Oh, absolutely. I think uh, I have a, a few favorites there. Um, uh, I would say Sao Tome and Principe, which is an island group. Uh, it's off say Africa. Say it again. Sao Tome and Principe. Okay. Which consists of two islands. One is called Sao Tome and the other one is called Principe. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's uh, on the equator. Uh, it's west of Gabon in Africa and just south of Nigeria. So it's, uh, it's quite far from, uh, f- uh, from the mainland. First time I visited, I was, uh, there was no flights. Because it was, I, I hadn't checked. It was a poor research for, on my behalf. But there were no flights due to Easter, so they cancelled all the flights. So in the end, I ended up on a cargo ship from Gabon to Southampton Principe, and they told me it's going to take 11, 12 hours. It took 42 hours in the end. <laughs> and I brought food for like 15, 16 hours. Right, I was going to say, they're not like, there's no cafeteria. No, not, to, a, right? not on that cargo ship. And it's, it's very, uh, you know, that's very hard. That's, that's uh, that iron, those well, uh, iron you know, this could be karma for uh, the story we were talking about, about your backpack. Absolutely. Earlier. And my backpack was on, on the boat. Yeah, we, yeah, we, yeah. Will, we, will, we will recant that at the end of this. All right. So, <laughs> you know, saying it's going to take this amount of time and it really takes this oh, amount absolutely. of time. Oh, absolutely. And you have a phrase for that in, in Africa. It is TIA, which stands for this is Africa, which sort of means what would you really expect? The schedules don't really apply here. Right. And if you enter a bus or a shared taxi in most countries in Africa, it's not going to leave until it's full. In Uganda, I discovered this once. I was the first person into a 50-seater bus, which left five or six hours later. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's all about you know filling it up, right. making you know uh, making every person pay, and then they will leave. Sure. So it's 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 quite interesting. But but uh, but anyway, South America principle. Probably the way it should be most places. Well, absolutely. Really, you know, right? it's, it's, it's much You're more using fun. Using the fuel <laughs> and everything, you know. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> and at least you get to t- you get to talk to your your fellow passengers. Yeah. You know, although it's a little bit annoying. Uh, you know, yeah. arriving five or ten Doing hours six later. Six hours, yeah, yeah, for sure. But, um, yeah, Sao in Principe is, is a fantastic... It used to be Portuguese. You have the best chocolate in the world. You really? have a, a, a fabulous chocolatier there. His name is Claudia. 
and um, he's been uh, made number one in many uh, different choc- uh, chocolate competitions. He grows his own chocolate. He, he's, he talks to his chocolate uh, plants, you know, uh, cocoa plants, I guess. Yeah. Chocolates until it's really? after the cocoa. Talks to them. He, well, you know, he, he really takes care of them. Yeah. Uh, and the chocolate is, is, ama- is so tasty, mm. so good. So, so yeah, I interviewed him for my book. You have amazing food there. You have good infrastructure. There used to be, as I said, a Portuguese colony. Uh, beaches, white beaches, black beaches. You know. You How have, do you get there? Uh, you can fly from Lisbon, Portugal. Okay. There's still yeah. a, a direct, uh, direct flight from there. You can okay. fly there from uh, from Ghana, from Nigeria, mm-hmm. uh, from Angola as well. I think so. Mm-hmm. You can fly there from several several countries. But very few people have he- even heard about it. It's yeah. an amazing place. Huh. And you have hiking opportunities. You have really uh, fascinating mountains, mountain peaks, uh, and so on. Hmm. Then you have the on the other side of Africa another island group, the Comoros, uh, and it's um, they speak French there. It's um, it's 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 heaven for scuba diving or or diving. Incredible beaches there as well. It's a dry country. Uh, it's which means it's, it's more or less Muslim. So you, if, if you're into booze, you should bring yeah, your own. Dry is in no liquor, yeah. No liquor, yeah. yeah. Well, hardly no liquor. You can you can get it in one, uh, well, probably the only luxury hotel on the island. You, you can get it if you really want. Yeah. Uh, but, but, you know, the, the turtles, the fish... The, the you know and, and the the wildlife there the plants it's so green it, it's incredible it will buy it more than make up for it, it, it it's wow it, it's really a fantastic place yeah. so you should speak French there okay. and you should be patient because the roads around the main island especially are awful so yeah, you know, okay. the average speed is going to be like 12 15 miles per hour <laughs> okay yeah <laughs> but it's paradise yeah you know, by all means and very few tourists so uh, and then you have a third country i'll mention is another island country it's uh, solomon islands mm. in the pacific and you can you can fly there quite easily from uh, brisbane i think it's a three-hour flight you can also fly there from uh, from vanuatu and uh, papua new guinea and, and some other countries so okay. it's fairly accessible at hmm. least when it comes to Pacific standards. Some of these island countries right. are really hard to visit. Tuvalu, as I mentioned before, there are three or four propeller flights a week, and that's it. <laughs> Gosh, so, okay, you know, yeah. you, you, sometimes Not you have easy to, to get away on those weekend trips. Yeah, yeah well, right? you know. Yeah. So, so for, for these countries, you need a little bit more time. Yeah. But again, Solomon Islands, it's one of the last countries where you had cannibals. <laughs> it's totally really? safe now, but, uh, you know, it used to be a little bit more... Uh, uh, you, you shouldn't venture into the forest too deep on your own. Really? Perhaps. Well, you can do now, but but not previously. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But there are still cannibals. Uh, there? No, there are not. So okay. Well. Okay. At least yeah. None that we know of. Okay. This is quite yeah. funny. If you go to Fiji, which is much more better known and where it's visited by lots of tourists, so it's not in my book, but they have um, a cannibal museum there. Well, they actually, they have a national museum. But they have. Um, they were going to do a cannibal section in the museum. Of course, they um, and and then the last person who was eaten, he was he was a British guy. There was nothing left of him, so the only thing they found was his shoes, because <laughs> the cannibals ate the rest. Right, so, right. So his shoes are exhibited in the museum. Wow. So it's also a, well, <laughs> wow, that's crazy. I think it was in so. the sixties or the seventies. Okay, yeah. <laughs> when he was eaten, so it, it should be safe. <laughs> oh, it should be. <laughs> it should be. <laughs> well, I mean, I guess when you're getting down to the twenty least visited destinations, you are probably going to encounter some some things along the way right for um, sure so those yeah. three were three sort of island nations i guess that you would highlight were there any other you wanted to add to that list 
well, you have uh, five other countries, uh, you know, Tuvalu, yeah. Kiribati, and Nauru. Uh, okay. You have Marshall Islands and uh, the Micronesian Federation, all in the Pacific. They're all worth visiting. And mm-hmm. you can get there fairly easily from, from the United States. You have the so-called Island Hopper that's flown by United that goes from Honolulu and to, uh, to Marshall Islands and then to Micronesia Federation. And from there, you can relatively easily uh, visit the, the others. Yeah. But, but as I said, sometimes... There are, um, there are a few days between flights, right. so you might uh, you, you, uh, you should set aside some, <laughs> set some time. Aside some time yeah. Yeah. yeah, I know there's a probably a small percentage of people that are interested in uh, traveling to maybe war torn countries or some of these more dangerous places. And I mean, it'd be probably a mistake on my part if I didn't ask you about what it's like to travel to some of those places. The kind of the first list you mentioned, yeah, when you broke it up into two of the twenty, and yeah, I'm just curious how that works logistically, I guess, traveling to those countries. And I just wanted to hear some experiences from the ground because chances are, who knows in your lifetime how things will go, Mm. but I'm not probably going to any of those places anytime (laughs) soon. So uh, this is my chance to hear what it's like. Ah. No, I I mentioned Yemen uh, where I I used a fixer. Yeah. So typically you should know someone on the ground. Uh, but I, I mean, of course, I never, maybe not of course, there are some people out there that actually, they, they seek the, the frontier where, you know, where there was active fighting. I, I don't do that. You know, I, uh, I don't, you know, I, I try to stay safe. I ask people underground. I, I try to get advice yeah. and, you know, I'm not, I'm there to experience things. I'm not there to, to die, you know? Right. Um, so typically find someone, uh, local, get advice. Uh, a good way to do that is via social media. Or it might be in your hotel, in the airport, you know, you ask around. To, to these countries, there are so few visitors that if you approach people and say, hey, I'm visiting as a tourist, well, first of all, they will probably think you're crazy. <laughs> but, it's, you know, after, after, after a few seconds, they'll, think they'll be quite honored and say, wow, really? that, that's really nice. But even in... People, in generally, in, you're finding that people are surprised and honored and that they are indeed and and they're very curious so well this is kind of their chance to they they might not be able to do a lot of traveling and and that's another thing when when, you know we are very lucky we we have we're we're from high income countries we have strong passports we can actually travel yeah and then you you think about and people are inviting us to weddings and dinners and hikes and and boat trips and all the rest of it and then you think about it and we post this on on social media and we're so proud and we get many likes and oh look what I did on my holiday I was invited (laughs) to do this with some locals and but but very few of us stopped to think that wow don't you think those people that took us to those you know invited us on those things those experiences don't you think they would like to travel as well yeah and most of them would but you know that you know they're not they don't want to they can't you, do it give you bad bad conscience you know yeah. and start talking about it you know i met this one guy in costa rica and he told me you know i'm really inspired by all your traveling all the rest of it i i only wish i could do it as well you know i'm never going to be i'm never going to make enough money so it's it's you know if, if traveling doesn't humble you as a person i don't think anything yeah. anything will but it is definitely worth thinking about we are very very lucky to be able to to travel absolutely uh, to to different countries and i th- i think that's that's very important to to keep in mind yeah and then when it comes to traveling, you know, the, even Afghanistan, Somalia, South Sudan, Yemen, all of these countries, they have si- uh, safe zones. So, you know, so, so you can actually visit a war-ridden country if you want to and be safe or relatively safe or even very safe. Afghanistan, you have a province that's called uh, Bamiyan, which is uh, considered the only safe province in Afghanistan these days. It's the only place where they have a tourist office, for instance. 
um, and it's being visited by hundreds and thousands of locals, Afghanis, every year. Okay. You know, it, it's a beautiful area, and it, it, you're safe. There are very few weapons elsewhere in Afghanistan. You'll see weapons everywhere. You know, you'll see military vehicles everywhere. So it's also a break. And we're seeing that more and more Westerners are going there as well to go even skiing and, and to, to, to hunt for archaeological sites and, you know, explore archaeological sites and, yeah. and, and so on. Very green, beautiful hmm. lakes and all the rest of it. Hmm. So you can always find somewhere, yeah. almost always, you know. But I don't recommend people who hasn't really traveled much to, to make a war-ridden country their first destination, you know. It's the same as with anything else, baseball, football, soccer, singing, you know. You're not going to be world champion the first day you try something. Right, you know, right, it's about right. practice. Yeah. And I think that applies to travel as well. So, you know, yeah. start local and then um, gradually expand Go your Go to horizon. Paris, then make your way to Afghanistan. Yeah, <laughs> <No>. there you <yeah>. go. <laughs> Just like that. I have no anchor, I guess, for what it's like to be in a war-torn country like that. And, I mean, even when you're in the safe zone, I guess you're, I mean, you're still with locals, so you're getting a sense of, of what that is. I mean, what is it like... What is the vibe in Afghanistan, for example? Like, is it just, is it kind of, hey, we're just beat down all the way like this? Is this constantly happening? Or are generally people just living their lives? And People are generally living their lives. Yeah, and also in Kabul, uh, the capital city of Afghanistan, there are almost 5 million people. So it's a fairly big city. I mean, there are as many people there as there are in, in entire Norway. Uh, so I, I was there and there was a, there was a bomb blast. So it was a terror, act of terror and 57 people died. And I asked people, you know, a friend of mine, Bilal, and I asked him, how can you live like this? And say, hey, well, it's life. We're not going to let terrorists, um, you know, we're not going to make them win. We're not going to make them dictate how we're going to live our lives. So we take our precautions. You know, we look for uh, hidden or unusual objects or people that behave suspiciously. We avoid, typically avoid big accuse and, and, and stuff like that. But other than that, you know, we live our lives normally. And we're never going to let them win. And then he said something. And then again, you have to, uh, you have to be good in statistics. I said, what? What do you mean <laughs> statistics? Well, even the very sad events today, 57 people died. Right. It's in a city of 5 million people. Yeah. If you look at how many people die in a country of 5 million or you know in mm. a city of five million people in traffic accidents and you know in, in i don't know in, in by gun wounds whatever else you know being hit by cars yeah. or, or and so on it, it adds up so you have to look at statistics yeah. it's very very unlikely that's going to hit you and uh, you know it is it is a valid point yeah. and it's also a valid point for us as travelers you know yes the only thing we hear the only things we hear about from afghanistan and south sudan and Somalia, if anything, is about bomb blasts and, yeah. and terror. Yeah. And then, and that was one of the reasons I wanted to write this book. It was to give a voice to normal people from unusual countries. Right. People you never hear anything about because the only thing, you, only times you hear anything about these countries, it, it's, it's bomb blasts and, and death and, yeah. and awful things. And yeah. you never hear about the normal people. I mean, they have kids there and they have schools sure, there. Everything course. is normal. They have restaurants. Everything is normal. To a certain degree, right? But, you know, we perceive these countries as right. very abnormal, dangerous, awful, nasty places because the only thing we hear, the only things we hear are about are are, are negative things. And yeah, so I'm trying so to, to to a certain tiny degree to to, to change that. To think about the statistics uh, being like that gentleman you referred to, probably a very, I mean, I think a very enlightened thing to do, right? In his position, like these things are going on all the time. 
and just to remember, oh, hey, this is not the majority of what's happening and still having that positive outlook. And uh, like you said, for travelers to remember that, I think it's good because it dispels the fear of uh, travel, really, when you keep that in mind. But that's not to say that, like you said, you shouldn't take precautions and no. be smart about things. But with a 24-7 media cycle, it does make it very difficult. to. It, it is like almost like you have to take make a conscious effort mm. and do your own research and kind of be on top of it yourself to remind yourself that, hey, the world's <laughs> not so bad. I mean, as a traveler, you know that too because you go out in it. But even still, like, I haven't been traveling a ton lately, so it's not like I forget that. But you see all this terrible stuff in the news and you have to remind yourself, hey, you know, the places I've been, you see people are just living their lives. They want the best for their children. They want... Um, a roof of their heads and food and all the basic things that everybody wants and that's just the way it is everywhere. It's yeah. just no, for, for being sure. a human being, right? It, it's quite funny though because uh, travel is being perceived as dangerous per se. You know, everything, mm. no, you know, be, whenever you travel, when I travel, our mothers or, you know, parents or siblings, whoever, sure. be careful, be safe. Right, yeah. And, you know, and, and, you know say, okay, so anything can happen, of course, but this is also the notion. If you travel... That you know, you have to be safe because that's perceived as dangerous. Then Bilal, who I told you about from Kabul, who I stayed with in his house, a very, very generous and very hospitable uh, guy, uh, journalist there. He uh, traveled to to um, to Germany only in April, this April. And we're now Facebook friends, so you know, you know, I get to see his feed and everything. And and he posted a picture from uh, from Hamburg in Germany. And all these Afghani friends, you know, in a war-ridden country, on his wall, they're posting, be safe. Oh, you know, oh, be yeah, careful. Yeah. Right, you right. Know, a guy from Afghanistan traveling to Germany, right, and even right. then, yeah, locals are no. saying, be safe. Because being at home is considered safe. Being mm -hmm. on the road is considered it's unsafe. True. That's even incredible. Even to Afghanis. Right. And that really blew my mind. I was wow. like, wow, that's, yeah. that's insane. That's, that kind of <laughs> says it all. Yeah, it does. Right? It's just... Uh, it's human nature for uh, yeah. a lot of it comes from love too you know i mean of course your mother or whoever is they just don't want you to get hurt but then they don't say you know you getting in the car to drive away like be safe i'm just you're driving to the grocery store be safe because obviously most accidents might happen in a car well, compared to <laughs> different things but you know it's yeah it's funny the things we focus on but that's that's a great story i love that this is so funny it's just, yeah just being in germany be safe i mean yeah you need one that anywhere one of the safest countries um, in the world I mean, since we're on the topic of safety and you've been many places many times, have you had any sort of situations that were dicey? Well, in, uh, well, in Somalia once, and it was about something as bizarre and you know, as, uh, as a fight over who was going to sit in front of the car, of, of the shared taxi. A as verbal fight you. or a physical fight? No, it, it almost turned into a physical fight. But this uh, friend of mine, his name was Tony, uh, he was living in, in Somalia and he organized a ride for me. He organized a shared taxi to go out of Somalia and back into Djibouti. But as I told you earlier, no shared taxi in Africa will leave until it's full. Yeah. But I was the first person in there because Tony had organized it. So I got to sit in front, the best seat, the passenger yeah. seat. Yeah. And then a lady comes along. Shotgun. Sorry? Shotgun. Shotgun. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I got <a> shotgun. <laughs> so, so, you know, and then the lady came and she, she went back in the back seat. Another guy went into the back seat. And then so we're waiting for the last passenger. And finally, this guy, a little younger than me, with a huge knife in his belt, comes over. He opens my door and he grabs me by my collar and, and tries to pull me out. But of course, this 
you know, this really makes Tony mad because, hey, come on, he's giving me right. the ride. He's giving me a shotgun. Right. So suddenly they have a really huge verbal fight, you know, over blah, blah, blah. And it's about, you know, losing face and everything. And he's giving me the seat and, you know. Uh, so in the end, uh, Tony, he was bigger and older, so he wins. And in the end, this other guy with the big knife, he ends up just behind me. Oh, great. <laughs> and I, w- I, w- I would have been happy to, to give up my seat. But suddenly, as this turned into a huge fight and losing face and all the rest of it, you know, losing your standing in society or whatever in the hierarchy, I couldn't just give up my seat that Tony had, you know, fought over. Yeah. So we were this close to a physical fight, but yeah, Tony sort of, of, of prevented that, you know. Right. But I was I was leaning forward the entire oh, yeah. trip out. I was just I waiting mean, to be backstabbed, literally. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it must have been nerve-wracking <laughs> ride for you. <laughs> After a while, maybe it settled in a little bit, but... <laughs> it, 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 it did indeed. And then I, I, I was robbed once. That was in Gabon. Okay. Um, on the west coast of Africa, nearby Sao Tome and Principe, we, we talked about earlier. And um, I was walking in, in, in the middle of the road on the main street. It was fairly well lit. It was almost midnight. And suddenly two guys, jump, they jumped me. And they managed to, to, you know, push me, pull me. They have a taser gun, you know, get me into to a dark side alley. And I've been thinking about this. You know, if I'm ever going to be robbed, I'm just going to give up everything. Yeah. You know, I, I'm not here to die. You know, I, I treasure life, you know, and all the rest of it. But my instinct told me otherwise. So I started fighting back. And I've never been as strong in my life due to an adrenaline kick or whatever. And as so I fought these two guys and managed to, you know, drag them back into the lights of the main street. Uh, and, uh, you know, then when they were in the, in the street, in the lights again, they ran away. They managed to steal my phone and my, my shirt was totally ripped and I was very shaken. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. But, you know, and, and it was so stupid. You know, if they yeah. had, had a knife or, or a real gun, yeah. I would have... I would, would probably not have been here yeah know? so and even then you know i've been thinking about this you know for for, for a lot of you know many many times you know yeah. if i'm attacked i should just give up everything right it's not you know it's not worth losing your life over yeah. you know a few dollars and your wallet and you know phone and still i, I fought back very stupid but yeah hey, that's insane. i mean it's yeah sometimes it's easy to say it's easy to think about those things when you're kicking back at home or whatever you're in your guest house or whatever but then when it goes down. It goes you don't down. know how you're going to react, right? <laughs> no. But, you know, I've been lucky. You know, I've been to every country in the world uh, two times or yeah. more times. Right. And uh, only two, you know, fairly Of course, and then those, I mean, maybe not the knife incident, but certainly the robbing can happen at home as That's well. That's true. Yeah. I mean, uh, we're in Norway, and Oslo is a very safe country. And where my wife used to live, her friends walked out of her old apartment and got robbed hmm. right outside of her old apartment. Yeah. Hit yeah. on the head and robbed and all that. No, so absolutely. It can happen anywhere. You know, it can happen anywhere. Yeah. But, uh, no, that's um, how has all this traveling changed your relationship to your home country of Norway? It's very interesting to see your home country uh, from a different perspective. So we are, both the United States and Norway, are within what I call the Western bubble. And to see the Western bubble from the outside and to realize they, well, of course, most people will know about the United States... But Norway, a lot of people don't even never heard about Norway, yeah. you know, and uh, you know probably heard about Europe, but but not necessarily about your home country. And that is like wow. So regardless where you're from, you might be from Rwanda or Burundi, or you might be from Kiribati or Paraguay or wherever, and you will you will consider your village, your town, your your country as the center of the universe. That's just the way it is. Yeah. You know, that's where you're born. That's where you're raced. Yeah. You know, and that's home. When you grow up, that's what you know. Yeah. 
and you will look at everything in in the world uh, from that perspective, and and realizing that that you know that 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 made me think you know that wow so Norway what Norway is not the center of the universe so what's <laughs> this you know they haven't even heard about the country right. you know they know nothing about it you know they yeah. they might think it's a village or a town or or you know a river the same way some of the countries you've mentioned today we haven't heard about yeah. and. There, those people there are thinking the same thing, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. exactly. So it's, it's, it's really eye-opening, and it's, it's very humbling yeah. in many ways to, to, to realize that, you know, of course they look upon themselves, that their country, their culture, their religion, their faith, or whatever, as the right way or, or the, the, the best way or whatever. And I'm not, uh, you know, I, I'm in no position. I don't think anyone in, in, is in a position to say, oh, my way is better. Or my religion is better, or my culture is better, or my food is better. You know, it might be, it might not be. It's different for sure. But let's just leave it at that. It, it's yeah. different. Right. And then if you think about it, okay, well, you might not agree, but hear them out at least, you know. Yeah. Be, be, be humble enough to let them speak and, and explain. And, you know, that might actually open up some doors. It might give you some new ideas. It might make you understand. And it might make you think differently. And then you take that back home and you think about it and, and you might learn a hell of a lot. You will learn a hell of a lot. Yeah. You know? And that's one of the beauties of, of travel. I once, I was once, once interviewed by a Norwegian uh, newspaper, one of the biggest in, in Norway. And one of the things I said is that, no, travel is the best education in the world. And then I was approached by a high school student here in Norway. And she asked if she could have a, a cup of coffee with me at work. So I invited her to, to the canteen at Norwegian Broadcasting. And, you know, and she said, well, I read that interview and I totally agree that travel is the best education in the world. So when I finish high school, I'm just going to travel. I'm never going to go to college. And I said, oh, no, 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 that's not Uh exactly what I meant. Please, 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 you know, go have an education. Just travel as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) So that was uh, clearly uh, misinterpreted uh, very willingly, uh, you know, from her. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's And I've never heard from her again. So hopefully she's I wonder what happened. Yeah. If you're listening, you should check in. (laughs) When you're exposed to all these different cultures and ideas and perspectives and things, then you come back to your own culture. Have you found it at times like harder to fit in or has it always been like a seamless transition just to come back from some grand things that you've done and just kind of slip right back into it? Or is it like... Is it like slipping back into something that's unfamiliar and then you have to get familiar with it again? Like, what is that like for you? No, I mean, this is my home. This is where I have my family. I have lots of my friends here. Uh, of course, I, all, all, I often meet new friends. Uh, but still, this is what I'm used to. At the same time, it gives me pers- a different perspective. Yeah. It puts everything in perspective, and that's really valuable. And it makes me think in different ways when I'm back home. And I really like it at home. I really enjoy uh, Norway as a, as a country. I yeah, a little bit uh, annoying, some of the people here, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody can say that yeah. about their own country, you know. We're, 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 I don't know, we're too too shy, maybe. <laughs> but, but at the same time, I, I do enjoy Nor- Norway and Norwegians. And I'm a very restless person. I have a lot of energy. I'm quite no. restless. No, you're no, not, no, right? No, you're I'm, not I'm, restless. I'm, I'm lying. Yeah, <laughs> Traveling around the world <laughs> twice, every country. <laughs> <laughs> so, so sometimes after a week or two weeks or a month, it's also like, ah, uh, yeah, right. Right. Start itching or I have to go somewhere, and uh, it, it's not because I don't like it here. It's not because I hate my friends or my family. It's 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 because it gives me so much to to um, mm. to see uh, the world through different glasses, if you like. Yeah. To to experience uh, different cultures and try different foods and 
and I don't know. And even if it, if I've been to places before, then you notice you notice new things. You notice yeah. changes. Right. And sometimes you you know oh there are no changes or it might be a subtle thing in the atmosphere. It might be new buildings, very physical things. But or you might notice oh it's been nine years since I've I've been here. They've really started, you know, it's really started improving here. You know, people, less poor people, yeah. no slums anymore, perhaps, and, and then so on. So usually you see positive changes. Yeah. And, of course, you've, you've met people before, so you come back and, and you re- revisit them. And so right. it, it's really valuable to, to have um, have friends in, 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 in so many countries around the world. Yeah. This uh, this area we're in right now, Toyan, is an example of that. It's changed a lot over the years, I found. Like, it's just really... Yeah, neighborhoods change, cities are always evolving, but I think we can tend to just get back to a physical place like our hometown or something and just always think of it as the same because we spent our childhood there, say, for example. But, of course, it's not the same place. It's 20 years older or 30 (laughs) years older or 40 years older, whatever the case is. So it's it's a different place. But I I do think sometimes travel helps you see that a little bit differently. You mentioned... uh, Norwegians being shy. What is it about that that bums you out? You sound a little bummed out about that. Like, no, what that's do you mean by that? It's like <laughs> that's you're that's talking about the Yontalova thing. We were talking about that a little bit before the interview. Is that what you're talking about? No, I, I'm not bummed out about it. It's, it's more like jokingly, but yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. because we are being perceived uh, by lots of people abroad as being aggressive or not. Maybe not aggressive, but arrogant. You yeah. know, we're. If we don't know people, we don't we we don't tend to say hello. That's your version of politeness, though, right? From what I understand, it's like not bothering people is kind yeah, of like you're sort of being polite and staying yeah, out of the way. That's probably kind the of? way. That's the way we're thinking about it. Right. But we're losing. It's not, out it's not on, like a bad intention. No, no bad intention. No. So that's what I'm saying when people are complaining. But what are you Norwegian? But you're not so arrogant. And I said, right. no, 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 we're not arrogant. We're, we're, you know, we're just trying to say as you way. But that makes us lose out on so much. Because we don't meet people, you know. We don't have that welcoming smile very often, unfortunately, yeah. to people we don't know. And that is so sad. I mean, it's totally free to smile. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and, and it shows that you have no bad intentions, you know, you're, you're here in peace. And it, uh, people should smile more and just say hello. Yeah. It doesn't mean that, you know, you're going to talk to someone for an hour. Right. I, but it's sort of saying that, hello, I'm friendly, I'm here in peace, you know, I'd love to, right. to get to know you. Right. And I think that is something we're... we're um, mm. I think that's a, a bad trait, if you like. It's uh, funny because you don't... You're not the only one to tell me this. I mean, I've heard this from across the board. So it seems like almost everybody unanimously agrees that they should just talk to each other more. So, hey, everybody, <laughs> let's get it started oh, right yeah, now. I'm, I'm shouting yeah. out to the bar right now. <laughs> yeah. Just just get it started right now, guys. All right, you on the street. Let's start talking. No, I. it's interesting because I think I get... As an American, and we, we're very chatty. We talk to a lot of people, and like you know, I could be. I mean, there's been times I'm paying for something at a gas station, and like two minutes later, I'm getting their life story. You know, yeah, it's yeah. just the way it is <laughs> from the cashier. But I, I get to engage a little bit more. I think here because I am not from here, and I get a little bit of a pass. And when I start speaking Norwegian or whatever, they yeah. immediately know oh, I'm absolutely. from here. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's just like, oh, okay, you're probably don't know that we're not supposed to talk to each yeah. other right now. But people seem to really enjoy that um, and my wife comments on that too when we travel she's kind of says the same thing same sentiment that you just expressed yeah. like oh it just would be nice if we yeah if, if people spoke yeah. to us but, yeah. uh, but you know Norwegians <laughs> listening but hey we're not going to speak to you if you don't guys smile guys and gals and, yeah. let's get it going here. let's get the smiles going no but like we said that's not it's not like a bad intention thing it's just no. 
it's just cultural. I, it's I just think the so, way yes. it is. No, for sure. Um, well, I, I actually have one more topic to cover before we get into some quick hitting questions that I got from my community because I posted something that said, "Hey, I'm talking to the guy that's the only guy that's traveled to two, every country in the world twice. What do you want to know? <laughs> what kind <laughs> yeah. of questions do you want me to ask them?" Yeah. And I got some questions from them, so uh, I'm going to ask you those. You have some interesting takes on sustainable travel, and this is something I've been thinking about a lot recently, and you've probably been following the news of over-tourism and, of course, climate change and everything related to carbon dioxide in the air and everything like that. I'm not an environmental scientist, as you can hear, as I'm (laughs) rattling on about this, but I think everybody gets the gist of what I'm saying, and uh, oftentimes, you know, travel or excessive travel is something that is kind of pointed to as maybe an unnecessary contribution to a bad environmental impact. I know you have some kind of thoughts and some statistical like analysis around this. So even in Norway, there's a, there's a new term that's been popping up, fleeskom. Isn't no. that like a popular thing now? Uh, yeah, it translates something like get plane shame. So like flight shame, yeah. Flight it's like shame, you yeah. should be ashamed of traveling. It's like it's almost becoming, from what I understand, not cool to just travel somewhere on a plane hmm. because you're contributing to the problem. So yes. what's going on? And, what, what are your and thoughts I think, around No, this? I think this term, and it, it came from Sweden originally, but it's okay, also yeah. um, the, 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 we, our language is very similar to, to Swedish. So we're using the same term here. I think there are good intentions behind this term, but I think it can be dangerous. And one of the reasons why is that you focus very uh, specifically on one way of polluting, flying. And by doing that, you sort of forget all the other ways that we actually pollute. If you look at uh, the figures, uh, the flight, the aviation industry uh, contributes 1.9, let's say 2% of of pollution of CO2, which leaves 98%. And uh, I think we should look at the full picture. Because if uh, the the danger here, and the reason I'm saying it's dangerous, is that saying, well, okay, so I'm flying less. So I'm going to fly 20% less or 50% less, or I'm going to stop flying altogether. And then you might think that, oh, well, then that's it. I've done my, that's my contribution. So, and I don't think about how the, the car I own or the pet I own. The pet industry, the pet food industry actually um, uh, pollutes more than the aviation industry. So does um, uh, fabric, textile, uh, clothing, uh, fashion industry, uh, twice as much as, as flying. Uh, and, and you can go on and on, you know, uh, personal cars pollute a lot. The military pollutes probably the most of all industries. We have to s- cut down on our pollution, for sure. Otherwise, we're in big trouble. We're already in big trouble. We're, we're looking at a climate crisis, crisis here. Uh, but to look at only one thing and one thing only, that's uh, counterproductive. And if you think about it, we're living in a capitalist or at least semi-capitalist society, depending on which country you're in. So let's say, okay, I'm cutting down 50% on my flying. That means I'm saving a lot of money. What, what will I do with that money? Okay, well, maybe I'll buy a car. You know, so if you buy a car, a medium size, or let's say a small petrol car, or a big electrical car like a Tesla or a Jaguar, that's, that, that's the same as 30 average flights a year. During the just uh, buying it, not just the well, no, no, yeah. buying and driving, uh, right, driving okay, it average. Yeah, got it, yeah. I mean, if you buy it, so you're probably going to drive it. But if you, if you own it for uh, the average lifespan of, of a car, which is 16 years, yeah, and you drive it the average amount, that's going to set the, the climate back with uh, three tons of CO2 a year. But and then you say, hey, but electrical car they don't pollute as much, but producing that battery, that very big battery, that produce that emits a lot of 
of CO2. So, so you have to sort of, so if you um, divide it by uh, 16 years, which, which is the average lifespan of, of a car, and you drive, I think it's 16 or 1,000 miles, no, sorry, 10,000 miles a year, which is the average yeah. currently, uh, then you end up with three tons of CO2 a year, which is the same as uh, almost about 25 uh, average flights a year. And, and so I'm not saying that, no, we, we definitely, we should fly less. And if we fly, I think we should fly to uh, unusual destinations. So we don't see what we're seeing now in Venice. We're seeing in Barcelona. We're seeing in some other cities that, you know, people are starting to hate tourists because there's so many of them. Yeah. And then, you know, then we act like sheep. We, you know, everybody goes seeing the same thing. Yeah. We never speak to any locals. You know, locals hate us. The only thing they like about us is that we leave, leave some tourist dollars there. You know, so there's no no mutual understanding. There is no mutual respect. We don't learn from each other. We're sort of just there for, for transactions. Right, right. But if we travel differently, and if we, let's say we travel to maybe not the least visited countries in the world, but let's say not to Spain and France and, and, and the United States for, for our sake, and, and uh, you know, Italy, we and, and Britain maybe, let's say, let's go to Africa or Southeast Asia, or we go to uh, South America and we engage with the people there, we, we uh, achieve a better understanding. I think we can also lower uh, conflict, conflict levels. Yeah. Which again uh, should lead to a conclusion that, hey, let's spend less on the military. Because the military is, is, is the worst, or yeah, probably the worst. Their emissions are more or less secret. They are not too keen on, on, yeah. uh, <laughs> on yeah. publishing those. Uh, but estimates show that the military is the worst polluter in the world. And now NATO, with, uh, with uh, the US President uh, Trump in, in charge, essentially in charge, they want to increase military spending in NATO by 40%. And the world has never been more peaceful than now. And when you look at the military, how much they pollute, you know, that's essentially a 40% increase in, in pollution as well. Because if NATO does this, so will our so-called enemies, you know, Iran, Russia, China, etc., etc. We have a vicious uh, circle. Everybody is going to increase their military spending by 40% and military pollution by 40%, which is bad and totally unnecessary. You know, it's, it's all about making more money. But if you look at it differently, and let's travel differently, we actually seek, we meet people. Let's travel to Russia more. Let's travel to Iran more. And we'll realize that, wow, these people are amazing. They're so friendly. The governments might not be, but most people are. You know. So, so again, we, 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 should, uh, <laughs> we should divide governments. Uh, we should look at governments and people uh, in, in, through different uh, binoculars. If yeah, you like. And seeing that big picture, yeah. as you mentioned. And, and let's, say we, let's say that we, um, by doing this, we do actually reduce conflict and we don't have to increase military spending. If you look at that, if we increase 40%, military spending by 40%, that will emit as much as four times what the entire aviation industry does across the world. So again, it's, it's you know, yes, I fly a lot, which means I don't have money to spend on, on a lot of other things that actually also pollute. Uh, but I think uh, by traveling, meeting people, inspiring other people to think differently, to learn about other cultures and, all, and, and so on and so forth, if more people do that, that will have uh, a positive impact also on climate. We should travel less, but when we travel, how about we travel differently? And we have to look at every industry here. We cannot just look at one travel, flying. We have to look at them all, and we should reduce our emissions 
within every industry. And, and that's the danger about flying shame or plain shame or whatever it's, it's called. You see the same with, uh, with beef production. So now typically in the media and, and on, the top, you know, on the top of the heads of the of politicians, they're mentioning flying and beef typically, maybe recycling. So, so let's say we, we do something about those three uh, things and we forget the rest. You know, then it's awful. Cement production, steel production accounts for 15, 16% of, of all emissions in the world. You know, it's a yeah. building. We should build in, in wood instead and right. so on. So there are, right. there's so many things we can do and we have to do all of these things at the same time. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, you mentioned yeah, meat and travel. I mean, those things can be perceived as voluntary, right? We don't have to travel. We don't have to eat meat. But then also, do we have to increase... Uh, military industrial spending by 40 percent i don't think so. you know it's uh, <laughs> you know what i mean so yeah a very interesting perspective and you also look at trade you know if we stop all all traveling or all flying you know the trade will suffer tremendously which is one of the reasons why some people want to boost military spending is is you know to boost trade to increase the number of uh of, of jobs and so on so it, it all comes together and let's say we will forbid outlaw flying tomorrow from tomorrow it's not going to be allowed to fly anywhere in the world let's say we do this uh, that will cut uh, co2 emissions by two percent if that's all we do that's not going to help yeah. it's going to help a tiny bit yeah. but it's not going to help it's not going to solve the climate crisis oh. we have to do more things than, than just we have to look at more can uh, you solve it gunner oh. we need to oh it didn't break. Yay. It didn't break. <laughs> Sorry. This is like the... the I, I just knocked over a water glass. Jason, you shouldn't have... I've only had this ah, one maybe on. had that, that was two beers. That wasn't it? Uh, I'll tell you what. This is the second drink I spilled today. I was in the grocery store <laughs> earlier and I knocked over my ginger ale. Then I knocked over the milk. Th oh, it's been a spill day. Um, all right. Let me get to some of these. You ever have those days? You know, you just got Butterfingers. Uh, you absolutely. drop everything everywhere. Um, I think there must have been vodka in that glass. It was, it was not a water <laughs> no, glass. No, that was just water, I promise. Uh, yeah, I, know I was going to ask you to solve a uh, climate change crisis right before we got there, but I don't think you can do that. All right, let me get into some of these questions from our community. I put something out there and said, what do people want to know? So uh, Rachel asked, and some of these I'm sort of paraphrasing, but uh, what gear would you never leave home without on your trip? So some things you consider essential, I guess, when it comes to travel gear. Yeah, well, <laughs> I and I never travel without my my suit jacket. <laughs> your suit jacket, which oh, you're yeah, wearing yeah, right I'm now. Wearing it right now. Yeah, and, yeah. And Looking uh, sharp. Well, thank you, thank you. Yeah. Well, that's one reason you will get a better treatment, mm. yeah, a higher chance of upgrades, better rooms and hotels, but also you, you have inner pockets, you know. So I have all the belongings I need. You know, people can steal my luggage. I don't really care. Of course, it's it's unfortunate, but hey, it's not going to kill me. I have on my in my inner pockets. I have my wallet. I have my money. I, I love have my phone. And I have so my passport. <laughs> and that, that's it. You know. And I get treated better by traveling this way. Right. You know. So so no, I never travel without my suit jacket. <laughs> I guarantee nobody that I've interviewed would ever answer with a suit jacket. <laughs> I just love this answer so much. Okay, it's uh, <laughs> so awesome, and I love that you're wearing it. We, we can't forget about. I, I do change it occasionally. I must say. Yeah. No, well, I, I mean, all right. Before we move on to this next question, we should come back to what I promised before, which was going to be the, the backpack story that we were talking about <laughs> before before we started recording. Well, well, we'll get to that at the end, I guess. All right. So um, Mira asks, how do you decide how long you'll stay in a place? 
Well, usually it's limited by the, my lack of, of holiday. Okay. So almost always I want to stay longer than I actually can. Based on what you have going on? Yes, yeah, yeah. of course. And, you know, I only have my limited holiday. And it, it don't, it, the longer I stay, the longer I want to stay. Because, you know, you get to know people, you get to know the community, you, you understand what's really happening and what you should really see. And you see beyond the tourist attractions, if there are any. And, uh, you know, and then you say, oh, I wish it's, 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 most people probably say that when they travel. I wish I could stay longer. Yeah. And, and, and some, some people actually mean it as well. Right. right. Yeah. Sometimes <laughs> you're ready to go Sometimes, home, sometimes right. <laughs> yeah, it's, so, so it's, it's, unfortunately, it's usually determined by, by the available time. And, you know, then you have something else planned. You know, you might have to, to go to you have a meeting or you have an engagement or, or something. So yeah, okay. it, it, it's usually something else that's happening that, that limits the, the time, the amount of time I, I have in a place. Right on. But if if I could, I would, uh, you know, I'd stay for for weeks and weeks and months and sure. months in in every country. But uh, yeah, so if, if any sponsors out there, you know, uh-huh. ma- make this happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, my dad's chiming in now. He asked because I texted him, and the first question he said was, uh, "Ask him if he's tired." I said, "No, I'm not asking him if he's tired. Give me like a real good question, you know." So he said, "If you could go back to only one country before you die." Which one would it be? So I'm going to add some caveats to this. Let's say your home country is excluded. Yeah. You're going to die a peaceful death in like a month and you have to go spend a month somewhere. Where are you going to go? Oh, that's a tricky one. I, I get some type, uh, some form of this question or another. I know it's hypothetical, but it's but, fun. Uh, yeah, no, Good thought experiment. Uh, that's, uh, it's a tricky one. I would have to, uh, let's probably, I'd say New Zealand. I, I really, yeah, really like it in New okay. Zealand. Oh wow! It's High fantastic. on my bucket list. I, it, I want a camper van country. through there. I want to yeah. buy the camper van and do the whole thing. But I mean, it, it's sort of a lame answer, really, because in many ways it's similar to Norway. So uh, maybe I should rather say, uh, ah, you know, so you get me going. You know, if I say <laughs> one country, I'm gonna yeah. have to say another, another, another. Yeah. And it was okay. actually funny. It was an American magazine called The Thrillist. Yeah, and, yeah. and they asked me if I could uh, name my favorite country, and I said, "No, that's impossible." Yeah. yeah. But um, and how about can you give me a, give us a list of ten? And I said, "Well, I can give you a list of twelve countries that are incredible and that I can recommend anyone to visit." Oh, they have it fabulous. So why twelve? Yeah, two from each continent. I said each right, inhabited okay, continent. Yeah. I said, "Oh, that's fine." But uh, but there is one precondition: you cannot rate them. You cannot say there's this number one, there's number twelve. And, and they were fine with that. Yeah. Because, you know, cause, you know I, I, I never want to do that. It's unfair to no. any country. Yeah. But, yeah, I gave them a list. And naturally, this was an article. So they, would, they had to start somewhere. They yeah. didn't number it. But they started with Romania right. in Europe. And two or three days later, every news outlet, every TV station, every radio station in, in Romania called me. And said, oh, really? You're, you're saying <laughs> Romania is the best country in the world. No, no, that's, oh, that's amazing. That's, a, that's not what I meant. Oh, that's, why, why? <laughs> Okay, yeah, whatever. I'll, I'll just go with the flow. Yeah, Romania is the best country in the world. You know. Sure. You guys want to fly me there? <laughs> yeah, Put yeah. me up. <laughs> so so that, that, was, that, was, that was funny. But, you know, so I can't say this country is the best in the world. But I, no. I must say, I, I wasn't really asking like, that and I no, refused no, no, to ask I, that question. I really like New Zealand and, and the yeah. People there and yeah. the scenery, and uh, it's so diverse. So, so New Good Zealand is it's definitely an amazing country. Sounds like I got some bucket list reshuffling yeah. <laughs> to do. Okay, <laughs> Harold was asking something along the lines of that: if you're going to go back to any countries that you want to spend months or even years at, which ones would they be? So that kind of covers that as well. I'm taking on my phone because I got another question right before you came in, and it's: how does he feel he's changed the most from his exposure to the world, and what places in the world had in the biggest impact on you? 
Oh, uh, that's uh, that's a deep question. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's, it comes down to the small things, really. Just seeing, uh, I was in Somalia and I visited a, a camp for internally uh, displaced people because they can't call them refugees because refugees go from one country to another. Yeah, but because of of uh, droughts and and lack of food, you know, I saw this. Uh, and I met this, this tiny little girl uh, and her mother, and she stayed in a tent, six square meters tent with four kids and, and a husband. I, and it was just heartbreaking. It just really made, made an impact. And just, just talking to her and realizing how they lived from, uh, you know, getting two meals a day. Uh, all, it was always the woman, the, the the mother, who had to stand in line to to get the the food right, uh, the, the the little food they got as a mixture of beans and and rice, because that was uh, you know the the man that would mm, that was you know not his job, you know that was below his dignity to stand yeah. in line to get this right. little amount of food that they had to share between six people. And when I was there, the food was still on the plate. And, and I said, why, why don't you eat her? You have four really hungry kids, including this very tiny, extremely cute girl, probably aged two or three. I said, no, no, my, my husband gets to eat first. So when he's finished, we eat the rest. Again, a very patriarchal, uh, patriarchal society and, and really, really sad. Just realizing, you know, these things, how... Happen every day. They happen every day. And mm. it's so sad and heartbreaking. And, and, and still, it's, it's inspiring. You know, they're, you know they're, they're still going for it. They're really trying to find ways of, of making a living. Trying to, the mother is trying to educate her, her, you know, her little daughter, her, her daughters. And uh, it, it, it's sad in many, many ways, and at the same time, it is empowering to see, you know, how they're having to fight through this patriarchal society and, you know, mm. uh, all, all the obstacles there. Mm. Wow. Inspiring in many ways, and also the, the opposite. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I can get very overwhelmed when you think about the things that go on every day yeah. around the world. Yeah. You know, when you see it and you know, you witnessed it, it's different than... Absolutely, and you it's know. daily life to, to a lot of people, and, right. and we don't think about it. We don't have yeah. to think about it, and it's, it's uncomfortable to think yeah. about it, which is why we don't visit these places, because yeah. it sort of reminds us by it, remi it reminds us how lucky we are. Yeah. And you know, we'd rather not be reminded how lucky we are. We mm. just you know, sort of ignore that. Yeah. And I understand totally why. You yeah. know, don't have a problem with that. Yeah. And, uh, it's it is still reality. Overwhelming. Emotionally, I mean, I feel that. Okay, Lance was asking, um, I wonder if he feels like he has been able to be of service to local peoples in some of the countries. I think, like, some of the things we touched on is, like, you know, some of these people aren't going to get to travel. So one way that I think is, is by, you know, being a mini ambassador to a country that somebody's never going to visit, but they're curious and they're genuinely interested and they're excited to meet you. I think there's an element of that there in some way and, like, you're having a human interaction, mm. right? So it's uh, anytime you have that, whether it's people from two different countries or what we're having here, yeah, it makes some kind of impact, right? Can't not. We're all interacting with the world. I mean, I don't know what your thoughts on this. I just went on a rant there. But <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's, it, yeah, it's, it's about trying to uh, get stories out, trying to give normal people or, you know, people you'll never hear, hear from, countries you'll never hear from otherwise, to, to get those stories out and make that normal. Yeah, you know, to to get beyond those headlines, yeah. that might be the only thing you hear about. When I travel, I I 
I interact with people. I, you know, I help out. I, you know, help them fishing for dinner. You know, help them pick potatoes in, 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 in their on their little. I wouldn't even call it a farm, but their little patch of land. You know, uh, little yeah. little things. You know, go in the slum in in, in the slums in India and and uh, and talk to people. Help out a little bit. Uh, but I'm not into. I, I really I really don't like to give money to to beggars. And if you've seen uh, Slumdog Millionaire, the, the movie, or read the book, you, you know that in many places, in several countries, especially maybe in India and China, uh, begging is a source of, uh, it's organized by, by criminal syndicates. So the beggars will never get the money, you know, that will all go to, to the wealthy and the filthy rich, um, uh, you know, criminals behind it. And in order to get more sympathy, they might uh, take, you know, if, if you're a beggar and if you're a lady, they will take your daughter and they will break her kneecap in order to create more sympathy so they can get more money. So, so, so I, will, I never give money to, to beggars, but I, I help in other ways. You know, I might um, provide, them, provide them with, uh, with food, you know, uh, talk to them, chat yeah, company, with them. Yeah. Uh, try to get the, their stories about, you know, help them pick firewood and, and stuff like that. Yeah. My goal has been to, to share stories and, and hopefully try to inspire uh, people and maybe get them to see things from different perspectives. You know, I'm sad to say I've never you know, helped build schools or, or, or things like that. It might be something uh, because I really believe in education. I think education is probably the most important thing out there. So, so if I were, and I will, then I'll, I'll probably be engage myself into, into educational purposes. Yeah, yeah, that's I great. That's, no, thanks that's for sharing. That's probably the best, uh, best way of, of helping, in, yeah. in my opinion. One more, Jesse asked, and this is a good one, is there a place that you felt very different about the second time, either in a positive or negative way? I have uh, yeah, several or many places. Traveling back to, again, South Sudan, for instance, again, a country at war. And, and coming back, and, and it's been at war for for such a long time. And you know, after I think it it was eight or nine years between my visits there, and coming back and, and seeing that oh, the war is still happening. Yeah, still very very corrupt. Same politicians are in power, and you know they're taking pretty much all the money that they're getting into through taxes and all the rest of it. Uh, the soldiers are being deployed. You know, they're raping women. They're killing men. They're burning down houses and villages and all the rest of it. And just seeing that it's still like that. You know, there was so much hope when I was there. It's, a, it's the youngest country in the world. Uh, in 2011, it became independent from the rest of, of Sudan. And, you know, there's so much hope back then. And although there, you know, there was some war episodes and, you know, uh, violence. But, you know, yeah. they, were, they were hopeful. And then coming back a few, quite a few years later, or eight years later, seven, eight years later. And it's, it's much, much worse, you know. Mm. So that was, uh, yeah, maybe the, I was really saddened to see that. To stand out, yeah. something that stands out, yeah. yeah. I know they, you know, the, you know the, the, the world community were on their side, they're really being pushed, you know, collected a lot of money to the, the newest country in the world, and then, you know, everything is taken away by greedy politicians, yeah, spending it on, their, on, their, on themselves and, and not the people. And yeah. there's a, a full-scale war going on in, in big parts of the country, so... Hmm. Very, very, very sad. Yeah. We covered quite a bit today. The last thing we got to cover is the fact that your backpack has been in every country <laughs> in the world. This is what we were talking about before and joking about, which I think is just, this is just phenomenal. The lengths at which you'll go to complete a quest <laughs> this is a, kind of illustrates uh, this, which I think is great. So 
tell us really quickly the backpack story because you, you realize at some point your backpack had almost been to every country in the world. And oh then yes, what? my old uh, <laughs> uh, my, my, my old friend, my backpack. Yeah, uh, yeah. I was uh, given it uh, in 2004, so it's 15 years. And last year, I sort of uh, started thinking, oh, my backpack's been to almost every country. And I started counting. It'd been to 193 countries, only five oh. countries I hadn't been to. And those were, uh, were Peru, Uruguay, Mongolia, San Marino, and Monaco. Yeah. <laughs> and I was going to go back to the three first of those any, anyway for my second time to every country, but not to San Marino and Monaco. And they asked my girlfriend, Caroline, she's, she's from England, and I said, hey, do you fancy going to Italy? <laughs> and I mean, San Marino is inside Italy uh, and Monaco is, is bordering Italy. Yeah. So, we're <laughs> almost bordering Italy. And, and I said, yeah, 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 let's go to Italy. And I sort of failed to mention that we'd have, we had to go to San Marino and Monaco <laughs> just so that my backpack could actually <laughs> have touched the ground. <laughs> and I also failed to Your mention... Your backpack didn't have to spend a night there. No, I just didn't. just had to touch no, the ground. No, that's yeah. true, yeah. So, we, we, yeah. we actually had a dinner in, in San Marino. And it turned out this little trip involved 10, 12 hours on the road, <laughs> which I failed to mention. <laughs> so I, I, I Thus had the to, karmic circle is complete. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I compensated fairly well by taking yeah. her to some amazing restaurants in, yeah, okay, in both in San Marino and in, in Italy. Well, we'll have to have so. her on the podcast to ask her. Yeah, well, absolutely. That's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true. No, don't do that. Don't do that. No, no. <laughs> that's great. So, you, you, so now it's been... And now it's been every country in the world and I, I i met with a friend of mine in thailand and she runs a small bag company i said oh my my backpack has been to every country in the world and she said oh maybe we should make a version of it yeah. i said really so so now they're actually the end of the story that the company is called nin n-i-n it's a very small country uh, company and they're now making um making a version of my backpack so yeah. they're using my original backpack as, a, as a prototype and they're and they're naming it Gunner Gar Force. Yeah. <laughs> Honor, so right? Gonna be, so, oh, it's funny. Yeah, it's really funny. So uh, we will see. It. I hope. Uh, hopefully, they're going to sell it in Norway as well and Thailand. Oh, that's so awesome, that's man. very cool. Uh, it's hilarious. <laughs> I just love that you. Yeah, had to get that backpack to yeah, every country. Well, yeah. Like you just had to do it. It's, just, it's, it's in your blood, man. Oh, I, guess, I don't know. Yeah. It is in your blood. But uh, cool. Well, thank you so much for your time. I had a blast chatting with you. I hope we can do this again at some point and uh yeah just share with everybody one more time like your website where people can find you your book anything else absolutely um, yeah it's all of my last name garforce g-a-r-f-o-r-s garforce it's garforce.com i'm garforce on instagram on twitter on facebook on well, wherever else people twitter yeah wherever people go and uh yeah so, so that's probably the best way to find me just uh, okay. look for my last name yeah and, and the first. book uh, is not out yet but it's being worked on getting published. Uh, yeah, well, it's out in Norwegian. Out in Norwegian, now. right. But, um, I, have, so, I actually have an agent. You know, it's first yeah, time in my life. It's actually being agent, Right, you know, congratulations. <laughs> well, it must have been that suit jacket. <laughs> oh, it must have been. That, yeah, got, yeah, you the, yeah, that got you the agent, yeah. man. So that's awesome. Uh, anytime, of course, I wrap these things up in person, I like to do a high five at out. It was awesome, man. Thank you so much for your time. Had a blast. Thanks. Thank you. There you have it, my chat with Gunnar Garfors, who is a special, cool, awesome dude that uh, has quite an accomplishment there, traveling to every country in the world twice. I hope you enjoyed uh, listening in on our conversation there. We were huddled up in a booth 
just talking travel over beers. It was fantastic. Uh, looking forward to meeting up with him again soon and hope you really enjoyed the chat. Now, I thought it was hilarious when <laughs> he said that the thing he couldn't travel without was his suit jacket, which is one of the last things I would have thought of as sort of a minimal traveler having traveled to so many places. I just thought that was fantastic and uh, yeah, totally unique. And for me, the one item that I just got to have with me, that sort of, I won't call it a luxury item, but kind of you could live without it, but I can't live without it. It's my Kindle. I need to have my Kindle because I love to read and I love to read at night in bed. So that Kindle, I'm obsessed with it. I, I just can't imagine going without it. But now, you know, Gunnar has me thinking about a suit jacket, perhaps? Is a suit jacket in my future for traveling? I don't know. Probably not, but uh, maybe. Maybe. If you're listening, Gunnar, maybe you can find me a nice nice fit. Some, something that doesn't wrinkle too much, because I ain't going to do any ironing. I'm not going to iron the thing. I don't have time for the ironing. <laughs> I'm not saying you ironed it. I'm sure you didn't. But uh, anyway... Thanks again for listening to this show. And I quickly want, I want to leave you with a quote, I guess. Uh, I always do that. And it's nice to sign off with a quote. Before I do, I want to quickly say thanks again to Tortuga Backpacks for supporting today's show. ZeroToTravel.com slash Tortuga takes you to the page with the backpacks I recommend, the gear I recommend from them. And if you enter the promo code TRAVEL when you check out just the word TRAVEL, you get 10% off anything you order. They actually just came out with a women's backpack, which is tailored more to women, obviously. It's a 35-liter pack, and that's something new that they just launched. And I'm just a huge fan of their stuff. I've been using their backpacks for years. Do not waste your time doing a bunch of research, trying to figure out, hey, which backpack should I take around the world with me for a year? Or for the summer, see what I recommend. Check them out, zerototravel.com slash Tortuga. Promo code TRAVEL, get 10% off. Treat yourself to uh, some awesome travel gear. And thanks to them for supporting today's show. And before I let you go, a little quote here from the late, great physicist Stephen Hawking, who said, (laughs) this is small thinking, right? He said, uh, my goal is simple. It is a complete understanding of the universe, why it is, as it is, and why it exists at all. (laughs) Such a simple goal. Uh, But I love this quote because of how big it is, but also how he just says, this is my goal, and it's simple. And I think uh, my guest today kind of exemplifies this quote, uh, maybe not for the whole universe, but for our Earth. You know, how can you understand the planet that we live on? Uh, The best way to understand it, I think, is to travel and to see it to meet the people that inhabit it, to experience the cultures that exist upon it, all that and more. And I just wanted to leave you with that. So go forth and enjoy your travels, wherever they take you over the next week, month, year. Even if you're traveling to the town next to you, it can still be an adventure. You can still approach it like a traveler and see the culture of that town with a fresh perspective. Interact with some people you've never talked to before. Put yourself out there. Do something a little different, a little wild. Have that travel attitude everywhere you go, anywhere you go, because you can be a traveler inside, and that can shape your experience anywhere you are, even if you're just at home. So enjoy it. Love this earth we live on. I love you, my friend. Thank you so much for uh, being a part of this community. I really do appreciate you. And this podcast exists for you 
So if you ever want to get in touch, just share your story. Say what's up. Let me know what you thought of this show, any of the shows, any guests you want me to have on, topics you want me to cover, uh, stories you want to share about your own travels, your life, whatever. Drop me a line. I read them all. Jason at ZeroToTravel.com. Thanks so much again, and I'll see you next time. Peace. This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality.